0: Hey gang, welcome to episode 50, that's right, 5-0, of the No Proscenium podcast, your podcast about immersive theater and its ilk. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from Los Angeles. And this is it. This is our 50th episode. I can't believe we made it this far. You may be a little intimidated by how long this particular episode is. Well, don't be, because you see the secret is this isn't a podcast this is two podcasts because our guest today is also our co-host today because this is not just the no prescenium podcast this is also going to be the story forward podcast our guest today is steve peters The founder of story forward which is not just a podcast it is also a series of meetups that happen in los angeles and new york about the future of storytelling and steve and i have known each other for a few years but we've never just sat down the two of us to talk about story which is why this podcast is so long because we had a lot to say to each other um this is a super fun episode uh, and, and I think I'm going to talk a little bit more about it in a minute. But first, we got some news, we got some notes, we got some thank yous. Let's go into the thank yous, because I mentioned them last. Big, big thank you to John Seg Segerson for coming in and being our latest Patreon backer. He, he came in at the $5 level. Oh, really, really gets to my public media heart to be able to talk about the something something level came in at the five dollar level he backed us on patreon that's patreon.com slash no proscenium uh, this show is made possible by listeners like you uh, that's just the truth the the costs are are what they are the newsletter's gonna start costing more soon but this isn't i'm not gonna pitch about that that's all there you need to know is that john seg segerson is our hero of the week for being a new backer Um, See how much fun that is? Everyone gets a little shout out. All right, um, let's move on with some more news and notes. I'm gonna save LA for last, for good reason. And you'll notice I have a lot of energy in my voice, also for good reason. Let's start with Chicago. Uh, The newsletter should be hitting uh, around the same time that the, uh, uh, the, the podcast is going up. Tickets are on sale soon for Learning Curve which is the collaboration... Ah, we've got a theme, collaboration. The collaboration between the Albany Park Theater Project, which is a student-driven theater project, and Third Rail Projects, who, of course, uh, they make the, uh, the the Grand Paradise and uh, Then She Fell, which we talk about all the time. So they've got a new work collaboration in Chicago, goes on sale soon, I think... If I read correctly, like the 15th or something, go check out the Chicago newsletter that is hitting right now to, uh, to, to find out when. If, if this is something you think you might want to go travel to see and you don't get the Chicago newsletter, the trick is to open up the latest issue of whatever newsletter you get, uh, open it up in your browser, and then click on past issues, and you'll hit that archive. That's, that's always a secret to it um speaking of third rail they've got a piece in denver right now sweet and lucky it is playing through the end of this month because we're in june now and uh, tickets are going fast they're adding shows in this month uh so that's something you might want to check out um if you're up seattle way found something kind of interesting found a piece called 10 minutes in the forest which is it's a little immersive theater it's a little art installation and it's a game a folklore folktale based game um you have to match your wits with baba yaga if you know anything about folklore particularly russian folklore that should freaking terrify you i'm sure it's not a very scary thing because it is fairy tales and folklore um but uh, all i know is um, i'd be scared to meet baba yaga in in a dark place um there's no segue out of that. Let's talk about New York City for a second. Uh, I was going to go with something clever. Don't have anything clever. Um, I'm pretty sure we mentioned that the Grand Paradise got extended uh, in into the summer. They've they've changed some things around. They're also opening the bar up. So uh, the, the trick is, is that there's going to be fewer shows in any given week, but the bar is going to be open on off nights. So if you're a fan of the show and, and you love hanging out at the Shipwreck Lounge, guess what? You can go hang out at the Shipwreck Lounge in Bushwick, there's a grand opening party coming really soon. I think I think it might be this coming week, or it's next week. I don't have the notes in front of me. I'm an awful, awful person. If you are connected to 3rd Rail um, or you get their newsletters, you should be able to get the data. I don't tend to do bar openings, all right? That's, that's not our wheelhouse. I just thought of it right now. Uh, apologize. Um, apologize, no, apologies. No, you apologize. No, you apologize. Okay, I have a lot of energy. I have a lot of energy because of stuff that's going on here in LA. Now, first, before I get into the thing that, that I'm all jazzed up and that I literally just saw a couple of minutes ago, um, I want to let you know that The Day Shall Declare It has now sold out its current run. Notice how I said that. I'm going to say it again, right? This is like one of those games, those observation games. The Day Shall Declare It has sold out its currently announced run as of this recording. That's all. Read into that what you will. I can't make any guarantees. Just saying the current run is currently sold out. That's it. What are you looking at? Okay, uh, let's talk about what I'm excited about because I just went to a show, all right? You know, I'm always like, I'll see you at the show. At the end of the show, Yo, know, I just got back from the show. And I just got back from apartment eight, which is Annie Lesser, who did Getting to Know You last year at the Hollywood Fringe. It's her new piece. It is very short. It is part of a project she has going on uh, that she's starting called the ABC Project, which is a very ambitious project to do 26 small pieces And she's raising money on GoFundMe for that right now. And on the strength of the first piece, I'm thinking we should start throwing some money at Annie. I enjoyed this one a lot. Um, Let me point the following out. If you're here in L.A. and you want to grab a ticket to this, one, do so. Um, You can do that via the Fringe. Uh, She's also doing some Pay which You Can tickets, if memory serves. Uh, I think that's through the GoFundMe. Um, What um you, you need to be aware of is this. You should be comfortable with being in a space with a nude a naked person. A nude a nude it's art, so it's a nude. Um, you should be comfortable with the actors this is interactive. You should be comfortable with them touching you. You may get a little a little ooky. I got a shirt that needs cleaning. I've got to get the stain stick out. Um and if you're not into Content of like a, a, a thriller nature, I'm trying not to give away too much, but, you know, the logo is a knife. Um, you might want to skip this one. But if all these things hit in your wheelhouse, if you like the one on ones, if you're down for something that's a little darker and yet at the same time is rather gentle. All right? Like, nothing nothing physically untoward happens to you. Um, I think you should check Apartment 8 out. Um, I I adore Annie Lesser's work. Um, this is She's she's two for two in my book right now. Uh, and if she can pull off this full range of all 26, that'll be quite a feat. Um, this is an exciting piece. If you're going to be hanging around the Hollywood Fringe, please go. Um, please check it out. Yeah, it's gonna be a hot ticket. I'm sure everyone's gonna be talking about it and it's it's interactive it's um, it's off the beaten path almost literally and uh, yeah, there I just got back from it. I'm giddy. I am super giddy. I had a great time. Um, I mean look, we all know I'm like the perfect audience for this stuff, right like you you put in the work you you polish something up I'm gonna try and dance with you. And I'm going to try and, you know, give back the energy you put in. And I know not everyone has the same experience. I know I've had people walk up to me and say like, I loved your review of this and I didn't like that show when I saw it. I went because you gave me that review and I was like, oh my God. And I've had people, you know, you know, I've described my experiences of things and like I had a totally different experience and like, you know, like you brought a lot, you know, it seems like you brought a lot to what you did. Um, yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, uh, i don't know what else to say about that other than this episode is really long so like maybe i shouldn't wax poetic i got time for that later because we're not going anywhere all right we've got two hours i know i know listen to it on a couple different walks two hours between steve peters and myself um i've learned some stuff about crossover episodes this time thing number one is if i do another crossover episode we will be more structured so apologies in advance i don't think this is bad um, I just think this is, you know, a really long episode, and it starts off. If you're not familiar with No Proscenium, like the first 20-25 minutes of this is super great. Um, if if you are incredibly familiar with it, you know, you can you can fast forward. I'm not going to be offended because just wait until I stop pot- stop pontificating. Oh no, come don't don't fast forward through the whole episode. Don't, come on, you hurt my feelings there. Um, But, yeah, because this is also uh, the Story Forward podcast, Steve wanted me to, you know, describe who I am. So a lot of me, a lot of me, two hours, a lot of Steve, too, two hours of the both of us. Uh, For some people, that's an amazing thing. For other people, it's their living nightmare. Um, But I know you like us, so there. All right. um, That's the news. That's the notes. Again, thank you, John Seg Segerson, for being a Patreon backer. And we'll do some more of that kind of stuff Right after this, yeah. Let's just say, let's just say we've started. Right. So um, this is the crossover episode. What's the name of your podcast again? No oh, What's yeah. What's the name of yours again? It's story Forward. Story Forward. Yeah, nice okay. to meet you, No Proscenium. Nice to meet you, Story Forward. <laughs> um, this is this is funny. That we're we're gonna do something a little weird here. I mean, I guess we preface this, but I'll say it again anyway. Uh, like both podcasts are gonna have this conversation. So. And you can
1: listen to it on stereo. If you played both podcasts at the same time oh, on be... different devices, you could... I don't know.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> does, does it sync up with uh, a Wizard of Oz? Is it a Dark Side of the Moon type oh, of scenario? It,
1: it actually... If we do it right, it'll sync up with Hamilton.
0: Ooh, that's pretty good. Yeah. But no one has video of Hamilton. So oh, just with some the, people do. Some people, that's true. Some people
1: do. Some uh, people, that's the only way they've seen it. I, I, do, know, <coughs> I do know some people who have that. Yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. How you doing, man?
0: Doing all right. Doing all right. Oh, it's been, basically,
1: uh... Uh, this, we should introduce ourselves. This is for those who aren't familiar with you know, we listening should. to your podcast. That would I'm, help. I'm Steve Peters. I'm the host of the Story Forward podcast. Which is? Which is, I don't know. We talk about the future of entertainment. Uh, what is the tagline now? The future of storytelling and entertainment. Fantastic. Yes.
0: I'm Noah Nelson. I'm the host of No Persinium, which is a podcast about uh, immersive theater and its ilk, as I like and to it's say. Its ilk, yeah. No. I have I have I have a thing about like Victoriana. Uh, just a tiny, tiny. Actually, thing. anytime you can
1: use ilk in a tagline, plus it's only three characters. That's that's a good thing. Yeah, I know.
0: Yeah, I for um, the
1: the banner at the the, the 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 masthead of the site. It yes, saves space. Yes,
0: it saves it saves a lot of space. Um, <laughs> I once did. A sh- I think the the true story is that I once one of the few short film video things ever did was one I called uh, Of Every Ilkin Temperament uh, Uh. which had this very you know Victoriana um, uh, vibe to it uh, at least in terms of like that part of it um, I just I love the word ilk because mm-hmm. it's just it's like
1: well you're, you're a writer too right you yeah, do stuff you write and you yeah. you do great you do great articles you do oh, great posts sh- on stuff shut and up. you're like your posts are like one of the some of the only posts where I'm like going finally somebody is saying thing about you know whether God. it's about VR or about all this stuff but then also what do not you also work for like NPR or something on the well side I, yeah or, yeah or the um,
0: past? this is funny because I I never this is great because I don't actually talk about this part too much I mean I refer to it on my podcast uh, which is this thing it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> We're in two spaces at the same time. We are. It's very, very strange. Limbo, yes, know? it this is. is. This is cross it's trans very... immersive media. This is cross media. Is hold, hold two ideas at the same time. <laughs> Cognitive dissonance. I am. I am both guest and host. Um, yeah. Um, I work. My day job is for a place called Youth Radio, and Youth Radio ah. is its own, very proudly, its own. Media nonprofit. Uh, we've oh, nice. been around since the 90s, 1992, wow. actually. We've won a couple of Peabody Awards over yeah. the years. Those are just little, little things. Like little Peabody happened, Awards. You know, like, it's a media thing. Um, and Youth Radio... <laughs> How to say this in the public-facing way, I suppose, the internal way I talk about it, right? Because Oh, like, <laughs> we're all friends I,
1: here. Because, I, well, yeah, the boss is my listen.
0: Um, and the thing is is that like, it's it's been a major part of my life. So like, I started as a student in the 90s. I was in the very first class at Youth Radio. Oh, wow. And the way it broke out was that Youth Radio was a training program. And the idea was that half the students were going to do DJing and half the students were going to do radio news. For half a summer and then we'd swap and vice versa and the way it actually worked out that very first session is we overthrew the authority of the adults and did whatever we wanted because we were a bunch of 90s berkeley and (laughs) and richmond kids so we're this like this hodgepodge of kids from like different sides of the east bay and all very rebellious and fueled on like on like hip hop and and grunge mm-hmm. and you know, taking charge like we were Gen X and we were right. we were in control. Uh. We we called our show Youth in Control. That name stuck for a very long time. <laughs> um, and none of the other kids wanted to do news, and I didn't care about DJing, so I was uh. the news guy. And then that led to the next summer. Like I was an intern, a paid intern, and then. On and off through college, I would do stuff with them, and then, like, I went away for a while, and then at a certain point, they were like, we need a guy who knows the web, and I was like, I kind of know the web, and so they brought me back in, and now I've been back for, like, seven or eight years,
2: wow.
0: um, which I did not expect. Like, I moved, I brought it the job down here with me when I moved to LA, thinking it was just going to be part-time. And then we like lost everybody in the LA office. So I've been the LA office for five years, all by my lonesome, and that means sometimes I'm writing for this thing we, we have we call Turnstile. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I'm producing uh, you know the web stuff we do, different projects. This year, I'm I've been put in charge of organizing our trips to the political conventions. So the day job involves things like calling the Donald Trump campaign and being <laughs> like, "I need you media people and getting a message," um, things of that of that ilk. Um, and uh, ilk. Yeah, we, the, need
1: we need a little thing. We need a lady.
0: little bell. A little bell. Oh God! <laughs> Don't let me have a soundboard on my show. Like that's the last thing. Morning zoo. <laughs> I'd go there too A-ooga. right yeah that was that was my that was my dream you know so no but I'm so it means like I've been producing radio forever my very first job there you go was producing radio so that's why this is this is a natural hobby this yeah. is a busman's holiday every week it's a busman's holiday yeah,
1: yeah you know it's funny I, I kind of say it when we talk before we, we hit record or maybe not before we hit record but, yeah but you know I was in I was, I did audio I was a producer and composer and blah, blah, blah. But I always had my own production company. And I found that doing the podcast really kind of scratches an itch for me. You know, it's like, oh, I can still do an audio, you know, do, do something fun with audio and play around with, you know. So that's why, yeah, my podcast gets a little... I try not to overproduce it, but I try and just keep it fun and do fun stuff rather yeah. than overproduce you know, I watch these I listen to these podcasts and, mm-hmm. and 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 even watching videos on YouTube recently and I'm like going, These things are like these schlubs in these in their garage and they're so overproduced. Yeah. They're so it's like oh so my just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? No, not at and all. And they're like, Oh my god, you've like produced a thirty second bumper, you know, at the you know, title sequence to your video. Uh, that's that's a minute and a half long, and it's just like and yeah, it 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 it, it 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 drives me so. It's not what crazy. it is. I mean, it's it's like know who you are and know what you're trying to do. So that's why yeah. I mean, people are like going, yeah, should we add some? You know, we should get a better camera for those videos. You know, I'm like on, you know, it is what it is, and, yeah. and you know, we don't. We're not like a radio show. We don't have millions of, of listeners. We don't have ad space. You know, so yeah. there's not. But we, at the same time, we
0: still don't have. A theme song or, yeah. or or music bumpers like I inherited have, my themes yeah so we're, we're changing <laughs> that like there's there's someone who's out there who's messing around I actually got to check up on him because I haven't heard from him in a week um, but because because I recognize that the thing that I hate about my show <laughs> is that I'll do the cold open and then we'll go into the show and inevitably it means we go from my voice to my voice yeah. And as an audio person, that drives me up the wall. But I just kind of like swallow you just, it. Every you week. just
1: need to get a little, just a little sound effect. To just, do, a yeah, just a rooster crowing. Just a rooster pro. Yeah, <laughs> that's all. You, we've got one that we use. It's just a little, you know, thing. Yeah. And then it just gives you a transition that, yeah. and it's like going from me to me. Yeah. But it sounds, I don't know.
0: No, it's it's it's, is, it's, it's way it, better. But like, yeah, welcome we, to
1: production secrets. Yeah.
0: By. Well, yeah. I mean, we're. It, this, look, this is our fiftieth episode. So, oh, we're yeah. coming up on
1: our hundredth episode. Yeah. Of course, you know you do an episode every
0: week. Well, we try to. The funny yeah. thing is, is I set out. I the original plan was that we were going to do two episodes a month, oh. and well, now let's we should back up.
1: Oh, so yeah. what is what is your podcast? What's the what's tell us about the podcast? What it is?
0: Okay. So what's this it is about? so so gang, no proers. If if I get this wrong. Uh, no please, proers. Please write in.
1: You've got you've got a term for your mm-hmm. listeners. No, no pro-ers. I just made that up. Oh, okay, so,
0: but I, that's what I do. I'm a writer. I do that for a living. I Story
1: forwarders. Ooh. Store forwarders Store forwards.
0: Store forwarders. SFers. SFers. Ooh, that's not bad. Yeah, that's that's not bad.
1: science fiction. Anyway. Okay,
0: so No Proscenium um, is about chiefly. It's about immersive theater. Mm-hmm. Um, that's our. That's the narrow gap opening in the iris, but. It started out as a newsletter. And it started out specifically because, and I've told this on the show before, so you guys can fast forward until I make the rooster sound. Um, <laughs> and I might actually make it. Um, oh, God. You're going to hate me for this. Um, the, uh, it started out, this is how it started out. So a few years ago, uh, some kids that we know in common, so like Jay Bushman and Sarah Thatcher and, mm-hmm. and a few other folks and I, Um, Given that all of us were obsessed in various levels with either with actually having gone to sleep no more and then she fell. Or in my case, having a theater degree and being obsessed with the idea of those shows. Mm -hmm. We started a little series of dinner parties here in L.A. where we would get together and like talk about immersive theater as a thing. And this idea of immersive... Kind of heard um, I wasn't ever invited in. Well, I'm sorry. It was, well, I was trying, I was very, I'm always conscious of trying to like weld together. So it was like Sarah and Jay sort of represented like the Transmedia LA kids. Mm-hmm. And then there's some theater kids I knew. And there was some, um, some just stranger weirdos. Like there was theater kids, there was yeah. magic kids. Um, there were people who, who had these different interests and. There's a lot of cross-pollinization. There. A lot yeah. of cross-pollinization. And part of it Rapidly went towards the idea of like, well, can we can we make something? And then you get those <laughs> dinner parties where you get a bunch of creative people around and they want to turn into making something. And then they, everyone's super busy, so it doesn't wind up happening that right. way. Right. But as that was going on, I I was like, well, I got to make a pilgrimage to New York. I got to go see Sleep No More and I got to see Then She Fell because mm-hmm. as much as the the platonic ideals of these shows that I've built in my head are very much something I've been chasing since college. Uh, I needed to know I needed to, if the, the thing that I imagined was what was going on.
1: Now, for my listeners, we've talked about Sleep No More a lot. We haven't talked about Then She Fell so much, but that's, that's just basically for FYI. It's, it's an Alice in Wonderland-based yes. immersive theater, similar, sort of, in the same ballpark as Sleep No More.
0: So the way I talk about Sleep No More is I talk about it as a sandbox piece, the way you might mm-hmm. talk about a sandbox video game. It's
1: sure, like you the, can wander anywhere you want. Right. Okay.
0: And the way I talk about uh, Then She Fell is I call it either a clockwork or a dark ride. Oh, okay. Because, sure. the, the, and this is something, because I know you you talk about theme park stuff on, on the show. Uh, for those who don't know Then She Fell, I would say, imagine that Peter Pan's uh, magical adventure broke down, and you got to get out of the pirate ships and start wandering around the sets, but instead of yeah. robots, oh. it was actors.
1: Okay,
0: That's sure. kind of what Then She Fell is like. So you're, okay. everyone's on a track... And the clockwork part comes from that everyone gets loaded into a different room at the start mm-hmm. and then depending on what track you are is what order of room you see the rooms and the actors repeat some of the rooms sometimes with slight variations over the course of the night uh, on three stories of this building oh, in nice. in, um, in Williamsburg uh, but in in Bushwick? No, in Williamsburg. Ah, my New York geography <laughs> yeah. Brooklyn, guys. Mine. It's in Brooklyn. Um but it's it's way more intimate. So you know sleep no more. there's something like one hundred and fifty or two hundred or however many people they can pack into that space right. and like and then thirty three performers. seatings a night or something right. like that or three whatevers a night. Then she fell. It's fifteen audience members and about twelve performers. Oh, wow. So you're up close and personal. You're often with the performer by yourself. Um it's, the close-up magic version yeah. of Immersive. Nice. And um, because of that, it's, it, it's very engaging. It's still primarily a passive experience with little hinges of interaction. Mm-hmm. You do not control the narrative at all, but you can color the narrative based on how you interact with the performers. Um, I left Sleep No More... And I was actually depressed. Because I went to New York to see, like, oh, can we make one of these things? And right. you go to sleep in one, you're like, no. I need <laughs> a couple of million dollars. Right. I right. need, like, volunteer labor. I yeah. need, like, a giant building. I hear that's
1: the dirty little secret to sleep no more, is that oh, there's just tons of volunteer labor. <laughs> yeah. Hey. I will not say... <laughs> That's just hearsay. That's just I, allegedly. I, I've,
0: but yeah, it comes on good authority. Maybe, uh, maybe I've heard similar things. Um, the, the the effort to outcome, right? Massive the the physical plant, deep investment, yeah, for sure. and and the wisdom of what they've done is immense. But you, if you're someone who has no money. <laughs> and you uh, walk out of that show, or you walk into that show thinking like, oh, can we make one of these things? You walk out of that show being like, oh, never. We can never make never in yeah. a million years. Now, Then She Fell still has some uh, of the same level of production value, but it's just on such a smaller scale. And then mm-hmm. the focus is a lot more on what's happening between the performers and the audience. And that being a LARPer from way back, the dirty word, LARP, um, I felt... I came out of that show and I was like, oh, we can do this. Yeah. Like, we may not be choreographers and, like, it's the same kind of dance theater thing. But, like, the things that were compelling to me were the tiny moments of interaction, the the little bits of agency they handed over to us to color the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and and because of that, became a massive fan of Third Rail Projects, who currently have a piece called The Grand Paradise, mm-hmm. which is, you know... A difficult piece. Not everyone's been able to access it in the, quite the same way, but if if you're able to groove with that piece, it is deeply moving. You I mean, agree. I had like an experience at that sucker. Um, so yeah, that's the short answer. On so
1: immersive. So I mean, but that's gotten you into. I mean, so immersive theater has been the we and in LA. So let's talk a little bit about immersive theater here in LA. Yeah. right? So which is kind of. I mean, there's. It's, you know, a lot My of God, people's an underground. <laughs> it's yeah. been... I remember, you know, I've, I'm from L.A., and I remember back in the 80s there was this show called Tamara, and not a lot of people know about this show, but it yeah. had, you know, there were some, you know, B-list TV, you know, actors involved. Uh, I can't remember any of their names uh, now, but I remember them from TV shows. And it was just basically this... I remember two things, two shows. There was tomorrow, and there tomorrow, and there was another one called, about the Titanic sinking that I can't remember the name of. But I did tomorrow, and it was at the Veterans Hall right there on on Highland, right down the street from the Hollywood Bowl. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and they converted the interior of that to like a giant um, mansion, you know, the interior of a mansion. And the idea with it was there's a story that takes place, and you pick a character and you follow him, follow them around, and you can pick and you can swap characters in the middle. You can decide, oh, I'm going to follow this person, you know. And I'm like, you know, being the young guy that I was, I, I gravitated to, you know, the pre- the maid who was the prettiest, the sexy character. Yeah. And, you know, followed her around and it was interesting, and, you know, but it was weird, it was awkward. You know, I think there was probably maybe, you know, there were maybe 12, 16 actors uh, and maybe towards 100 people in the audience that we could just kind of follow people around. And so each actor had, you know, 10... You know, five or ten people that would follow them around. And um, it was kind of just awkward. There were fourth wall hmm. issues, right? You'd be crammed. We'd find ourselves crammed into this little bedroom with the actor and with the two actors. And they're making out on the bed. And we're kind of standing right there. You know, literally yeah. like inches from them. Yeah. And they're they don't see us or, you know, anything. They're just going on with their thing and then You had no role. There's no the role. You yeah. were just kind of like following or you were like ghostly, you know, you could just kind of follow people around. And you were unmasked. You were unmasked. Totally right. unmasked. Yeah. No, yeah. there were no masks or anything back then. Yeah. This was well before. And then, you know, the thing was is that at the end of the day, you know, it was a murder mystery. And as so many murder mysteries, like I've done murder mystery dinner theaters on trains and stuff like yeah. that, as so many of those go, it's like, I have no clue what the story is here. I have no clue who did the murder. I don't even know what is going on. I had a mm. lot of trouble knowing what was going on because there were scenes happening elsewhere that I didn't see. And and so it was fun and it was interesting and they encouraged return viewing. You know, you right. can get discounted tickets for the second and third viewing. You know, oh. Your first ticket was, say, $60.00. Return tickets would be thirty dollars, you know that kind of thing. So they they wanted you to come back, and so it was a little problematic. It was cool and it was interesting. It was awkward and fun, but it was ultimately it was frustrating for right. me, is it, you know? But then there was another one that was going on about the same time in, in in at UCLA, and I wish I could find more info about it. It was about the sinking of the Titanic, and it was basically a group of you, the audience. You were passengers on the Titanic, and you're taken. On a journey as the Titanic sinks, and they had built sets and they would you would follow people from one location, you would follow officers and crewmen as they evacuated you. and as you moved from room to room, the floors began to tilt <sighs> and, and, yeah, it was supposedly really amazing, very linear, obviously, but right. it was it was like, we want you to feel like you're on the Titanic. As it's going down, and the confusion, and not knowing, and just following instructions, and it was supposed to be pretty amazing. So that was very linear, but I remember it got a lot of press back then. Oh wow! If anybody has information about that, let me know. Please, I wanted, to, I wanted to do that because just the idea of that, and the, the coolness of oh, we're just going to build sets, and they're going to you know the floor is going to be a little bit tilted and a little bit tilted every time. You oh know, oh, we need to go to the parlor now. You know, because the water's coming and you'd go to the dining room and it's a little bit, you know. Oh, my goodness. So that was kind of my introduction to, you know, and being a theme park guy and growing up as a roller coaster. You know, I mean, obviously. I I think there's – now we're in a place where the technology is kind of fun. It enables some more, but I don't think it's necessarily – I think – it's not because of technology. I think it's a reflection of the use of technology that these things are starting to come back because people want, yeah. people want experiences that they are tangible, yeah. that are not digital. Yes. And so I appreciate the fact that now there's stuff that I can go out to and I can sit at a table with two characters and watch them. Like what was the name of the one that was just recently? I forget. Oh, the, the name. stronger. The stronger. Yeah. And there are still issues for me in my head because with interactive theater, well, with immersive theater, mm-hmm. I mean, what is the term we're using here? Immersive yeah. theater? Yeah. Immersive theater makes you feel, makes me at least feel like I want to be able to have agency. I want to be able to interact. And, and, and it, so it's kind of, I keep, kind of keep having to remind myself, oh, wait, no, I'm just kind of an observer here. Yeah. I can interact with them on a light light fashion and, and kind of you know, yes and them as much as I can. Yeah. Uh but at the end of the day it's still a pretty linear experience. Yeah. And it's fun. So I think I think a key with this is kind of educating audiences on what they are and what to expect and how it works and how it doesn't work. There's
0: definitely there's definitely a huge and what's interesting is that each show is different, right? Yeah. So Yeah.
1: Those lines are different on on every show At every show.
0: And the company that makes the stronger, the Speakeasy Society, each of their shows is radically different in terms of the oh. level of agency that they they tend to be a little bit more on the the theater side
2: yeah
0: um, and they write their pieces so they're very text based and so their their stuff tends to have more of a feeling of a play but there are pieces that they've worked on where like you, they give a little bit more agency to the audience i this is the poetic the poetic that i have um, on it is that immersive theater is like a partner dance, and the performers are the leads, and you're the one who's supposed to follow. And I encourage people to take that attitude towards it because if you if you go in and if you've ever done partner dance, if you've ever done swing dancing or mm-hmm. the tango or whatnot, you know if you don't know how to do it, you know like you don't just want to start leading the person who right. knows the dance. Like right. you're, then you're no longer dancing the Charles, no. you're no longer swing dancing, you're you're doing some weird thing. And I'll see people go to stuff, even like Then She Fell, which I love, and they'll get upset that the actors don't respond to their asserted agency. Like, they mm. want to push an interaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And it's like... Expectations are huge.
0: Right. And and the thing is, is that there are things you can do if you know, if you're willing to read what the performer wants from you. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a little bit weird, but you yeah. have to really listen really carefully. You have to observe closer. So it's in that way, it is more intimate, right? There's a whole layer of sleep no more about, you know, of, of the one-on-ones. And there's a whole... There are blogs dedicated to like how to get a one-on-one and sleep no more. Right. And so much of it comes down to what attitude do you, or what relationship do you put yourself physically into in relationship to the performer?
1: Well, it's interesting. These are the very same issues. Now, I've got, for those of, and my listeners too, you know, story forward listeners, alternate reality games... Face very similar issues, and that's one of the reasons why, right? like that, th- th- all this design stuff huge, comes together. The, yeah. the design is the same, right? Yeah. Because it is. It's basic. It's basically arcs are basically immersive, digital immersive theater. Yeah, you know, it's but it's and digital. sometimes physical and too. sometimes physical. Yeah. and I, it it amazes me whenever I start a game. From a production standpoint it's like you can tell there's the players that come along that love role-playing mm-hmm. and they're pushing those little barrier those guardrails to see oh should i play this as a role player should i be you know or should i be like emailing a character and trying to get a conversation with them or there's some that are just they play all the different play styles come out right and there's there's you know the larp kind of your role play or there's the more passive kind of thing and but it's all that it's very much similar it's like you need to educate the audience you need to lead it's very much like a dance or i like them to you know dueling banjos or jazz right <laughs> it's like you're leading them along and but just kind of like saying yeah take my hand and i'm going to take you on this this journey and Set your, try and set your, try and medicate, mitigate expectations as much as possible. Let's medicate it too already. And (laughs) medicate. No, that's the puppet masters medicate, (laughs) self medicate themselves. Because even now, I've got something launching on Wednesday, and already I kind of teased it out a little bit. And there are people, I don't want people to make assumptions about what it is based on what I've done before, because that may affect their experience, because they're expecting one thing and getting another.
0: And let's take that opportunity, because we've done like the first 20 minutes of the show. off of my intro, let's do the next 20 minutes of the show off of your intro. So, Steve, hmm. tell the NoPro crew, uh, <laughs> like, how, how, like, why you think I brought you here today. <laughs> Wait, I thought I brought you here today. No, this is my apartment. <laughs> You're here. <laughs> yes, thank,
1: thank you for bringing me to the, the NoPro studios. Um <laughs> No, I mean, well, story forward in my background, I mean, we've, we, we uh, have, I, I I cut my teeth on alternate reality games and found myself kind of, uh, I don't know, winning the lottery in a, in a fun sort of way, you know, in that I transitioned from a player and an interest, you know, for those who aren't familiar, alternate reality games are digital things that happen online and sometimes in the real world, but they, they have a tendency to reach out and kind of Grab you and pull you back in. And for me, my, my seminal moment was back in two thousand one, um, playing this online mystery that I saw on the CNET TV show back mm. when there was such a thing, uh, talking about these cloud makers that were solving this online mystery. You ah, know? cloud makers. Yes. yes. And so I thought, okay, I'll go to cloudmakers.org and this big, you know. And it was the the game had been going on a couple months, but I, you know, I kind of caught up, and they did a good job of catching people up. And then I remember working, you know, in my studio one day, and I went out to lunch. And as I go out to lunch, my phone rings. My little Sprint flip phone rings, and I answer, I answer the answer the phone, and it's a character from the game. Uh, it was just a short recording, but I knew it was the game. Something had happened in the game, and so I forgot all about lunch, and I went right right back into my office. Fired up my computer, you know, dialed in on my dial-up modem as we had back then, and that was, you know, found. But when my phone rang, when the game literally reached out and grabbed me, when the game called me, yeah, I thought this is huge. This this is amazing. And so that kind of got me into it. So I I, I stayed around. And I built you know communities. I've founded uh, Alternate Reality Gaming Network uh, website, which has been around. Uh, it's actually in the Guinness Book of Gaming World Records. So it's ARGnet. Argnet, yeah, Argnet, yeah. That, that's you. That was my, you yeah, that you found yeah, argn. Yeah, dot like com. I founded that back in two thousand two, well, and um, then turned it over to Jonathan. And now, and now Michael Janderson, uh, and helped, and helped, uh, and helped found uh, Unfiction as well. Yeah, and so I was very much into, you know, kind of making, building, helping the community, building yeah. communities. And then um, that that
0: work that you're doing was so essential for people who had a passive relationship to this stuff. Yeah,
1: I wanted to give a place where people could just kind of sign up and hang out waiting for the next thing to come along because this was so new. We're going, this is awesome. And so because we couldn't wait very long, I mean, there weren't people doing this kind of thing. Uh, a lot of players decided, well, we're just going to make one ourselves. How often does that happen? And so a group of people made came together and made a game called Lockjaw, which was really, really good. And then after that, and we were waiting for the people that did The Beast, Alon Lee and Sean Stewart and those, Jim Stewart and, and those guys to come along and do their next thing. But while we were waiting, then I worked with a, a, a bunch of that crew to put on a an alternate reality game, kind of a grassroots fan alternate reality game based in the Matrix universe because I knew... That the second Matrix movie was coming out, and I knew they had been pitched an alternate reality game and, and had passed on it. Mm. So I knew nobody was doing it, so we did it, and we got, they thought we were official. We, they thought we were, the you know, and the bad part is, is when you make an alternate reality game about computer hacking, uh, it's a very dangerous thing. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, they, they accessed Root to our server, and you know, all sorts of fun stuff, because hackers will be hackers. Uh, but, I ended up basically then working for, uh, asked to work for for, with with Alon at 42 Entertainment, and got to work on uh, various alternate reality games, s- starting with one called Last Call Poker uh, for the Smash Activision hit called Gun, which was like one of the first first person westerns. Uh, and then the biggest the, the biggest one we we're probably known about is for a for a Cape Crusader uh, Christopher Nolan film that shall remain nameless because uh, I am a little bit hamstrung by. Certain companies' lawyers too Anyway,
0: okay. I I I I, uh, I know that it's a, it's a it can be a serious issue. Yeah, um. but but anyway, so
1: I, I did. And <laughs> 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 uh, but. Uh, so I've been doing that ever since. I mean, we've been focusing yeah. on a kind of immersive, you know, I found my own company, No Mimes Media, after uh, I, I left 42 Entertainment. Me and my buddy who worked there, we left and decided to create our own company because we had kind of creative differences with what was going on there. And uh, and have been doing this sort of thing kind of ever since, kind of this, you know, interactive yeah. cross-platform storytelling yeah. uh, in whatever form it takes.
0: And, and, and we met... Uh, at uh, what was then Transmedia LA, which mm-hmm. has evolved into which is now a story Storyboard LA. LA, yeah. Because um, uh, there was a couple of years there where, um, like, I was heavily involved in the meetups, and then sort of like in time, like I've gotten more and more focused on this. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, and
1: I should say that yeah. the Story Forward podcast came out of the ARG netcast. Mm. And originally it was the Argnetcast, and it was all very alternate reality game centric. And so I kind of took that over as Jonathan Waite kind of passed on it. He mm. was ready to lay it down. I said, oh, you shouldn't let it die.
2: Yeah.
1: And so I took it on and then I thought, let's just kind of widen the net a little bit and make it less so that, you know, less focused on alternate reality games because, honestly, there's not that much to talk about alternate reality game-wise. It's getting better. It has fits and starts. So I wanted to expand it to just kind of all of the cool new ways people are telling stories. And so now that umbrella, you know, includes interactive theater, you know, immersive theater, immersive really anything. You know, ways that people are telling stories in cool creative ways using technology or otherwise.
0: Well, I sort of feel like... Like the alternate reality game and the immersive theater, are are two sides of a coin. And yeah. that Coin is humanity's reaction to narrative in an internet age, because ARGs really felt. And I remember when when The Beast slash Cloudmakers, which, ostensibly was an uh, an ad for Spielberg's AI, but like it built out the backstory of that world mm-hmm. in this intense way. Like if you if you were like all why is the world underwater? CloudMakers yeah. told you why the world was underwater, yeah. right? Well like
1: the that sites was, that they found, yes. Yeah. The sites is part of the beast we yeah. know, would tell you.
0: And so um and but but the ARG thing and at the same time there's something called Majestic, which was like right. an attempt to right. be this, this they were attempting to sell you the kind of experience I actually paid that, for. Was, yeah. that was yeah. going on there. Uh, and and I remember the problem there was like you'd get threatening phone calls, depending on what level you set the game at, you right. would get threatening phone calls in the middle of the night. And because this was pre, just early cell phone era, that threatening phone call might be to the family line. And so right. like your wife or your husband <laughs> would think like, about, we're going to kill it you and your family. family. Yeah, it
1: was literally ahead of its time.
0: I mean, yeah. Yeah. By like about two years. Yeah. Right. You know, if you did Majestic in 2004, it would have been fine. Right. Yeah. But um, that was, that felt like humanity attempting to figure out, okay, how do we tell a story with the internet? And then for me, so much of this resurgence around immersive theater, because some of the roots of it go back to, I mean, it goes way, way back. But you know, a, a modern era, postmodern era, you know, antecedent precedent, precedent is uh, Grotowski and uh, Towards the Poor Theater. This idea, you know, who was doing environmental theater in Poland. Uh, oh. And and so, you know, if you if you can get a hold of a copy, usually you usually have to, like, send away to Powell's uh, to get a copy of it. That's what I did. Um, you can read what he was doing and you can see so much of, you know, the seeds of what Punchdrunk does. Mm-hmm. Um, and just these relationships to space and audience relationship to performers. Like, it's really, really rooted in, in, in that stuff. But... That desire to sit down with two people in a restaurant and see a story unfold and have it be where, oh, I can turn my phone off completely yeah. and lose myself yeah. in, in this the space yeah. is, a, is is the counter reaction to the internet. It's right. like the, the blowback. It's like, oh, we're connected all the time. Yeah. I can't lose myself, and no, the ARG I, thing was like, oh, I can lose myself in the net. Right. And, but and now that the
1: side. net has lost its shininess and, and its, its innovativeness, right, right, for lack of a better term, and now that it's the place where everybody is, back then it, it was the place where early adapters, early yeah. adopters were.
0: We escaped the internet, and yeah. ARG inside, yeah. and ARG was an excuse to get lost for hours upon hours on the internet and yeah. now we live hours now upon now hours. we've been the last thing we
1: want is our more hours on it no I think the pendulum's definitely swinging you know yeah. I mean I don't know how many times I say that digital is kind of losing its shininess and yeah. the things and the digital stuff that are most effective are the things that you know translate to our to real life things you know? yeah and so I look at stuff like yeah I look like this stuff Stuff like this, like Shizun Institute, even to an early, you know, extent. Oh, yeah. I look at the stuff Gabe Gabe is doing up uh, north, the, the Headlands Gamble, yeah, uh, and that sort of stuff. And I think I think, yeah. and and I always, I always describe it to people who don't know. It's like it's like the movie The Game, except in, we don't kill people. You know, it's not quite as intense. Yeah, people are looking for that. They yeah. want they want because you know we can watch high def surround sound movies in our living room, you know, better yeah. in better quality than we saw at the theater sometimes. Um if we go out, we want to be able to do something that we can't do at home. Yeah. And escape rooms another re- another oh, thing. Huge. That's that's why I think a lot of these we're seeing more and more of this. People are realizing I need to put my freaking phone down sometimes. Yeah. And I need to just live in the moment. And escape rooms, they take your phone away from you. And yeah. the theater they take your you know, immersive theater, sometimes they take your phone away from you. And I think that's a good thing.
0: Let's 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 take it on escape rooms for a second because okay. it's something that we don't talk about we have on the podcast. Yeah, we, we, we haven't had an escape
1: room episode either. We should. Oh,
0: you you guys totally should. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's I did I did a day job I did a piece about escape rooms that went up on NPR uh, and one of them was featured was the maze rooms people here in LA another mm-hmm. one was uh, Kaden Russell who does uh, the basement and the basement which I still haven't played to my shame um, it's like probably the best reviewed escape room in America and it's out in Silmar of all places here in LA in Silmar in Silmar what's right? it called again the basement okay um, oh, I didn't know It's a horror-themed one, right? Mm-hmm. So, it, uh, Caden come. He, you know, he used to work uh, in in some capacity at Universal Horror Nights. He okay. has a theater background and a, and a haunt background. And so, at first, they were like, "Oh, let's do a haunt," and they're like, "Oh, oh, why don't we do one of these escape room things?" So, it's got the vibe of like, "Oh, you're trapped in Saw," and they have three oh, yeah. rooms at their location. Uh, One of which is the boiler room and, like, the the ceiling lowers. It's just for four people. So they've got contraptions, but they also use actors inside it. So it's got, like, the most bang for your buck production. And let me tell you, like, I went in. It's, like, it's it's so funny because you you drive up to – it's not even a strip mall. It's, like, across the street from (laughs) uh, uh, a a a Del Taco and a auto place – and then it's right next door to a basically like Porn Valley, like Outfitters, right? <laughs> right. It's like Urban Outfitters, the Porn Valley, Valley yeah. right? Um, but like with like, like a building that has no character whatsoever. Right. And then there's like the front for the basement, and you walk in, and the lobby is like it's black and it's dark, and like so already there's like a kind of a cooling effect, even if it's like a hot day outside. You go into the basement itself, and even though it's on the first floor, of a completely nondescript building, you walk into that set he's built and you're like, oh my God, this feels like a killer's creepy, you know, <laughs> kill room. Nice. Wow, this is intense. Um, And they have two other locations in, in the same spot. And, like, I think they've opened up one in Vegas. So, like, they're part of that, nice. like, franchise yeah. thing. But what I want to ask you um, about this stuff uh, is... Is why do you think that that escape rooms in particular have taken off, like the way they have? Because like they, I mean, you know, they, they started in Japan. They really blew up in Hungary and Russia. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Mm-hmm. But like, I just see more and more people getting into it, uh, and it's and it, and it runs out in a way that I haven't seen. I and mean, there's way more escape rooms than there are immersive theater pieces or alternate reality yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: there's got to be what forty of
0: them here in L.A. There's sixty in Los Angeles. Sixty. Last, oh my god.
1: Wow, absurd. and I wonder how I wonder how booked they all are. I mean, I wonder if they're all That's a real question. I mean, I wonder if you know what I'm saying, I wonder if yeah. they're, they're if they're all if the average is like 80% booked, you yeah. know. Cuz I've done a couple escape rooms internationally where I was like literally the only one. It was like on a Saturday afternoon and I wandered in and the gal's reading a book. Oh, you want to do? Okay, you're going. And it's just me, you know, something and how do they, make... you know, how do they pay rent? But yeah. I, I think I think it's just that. I think I think an, I think a, 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 a factor that led into it was before the escape room started happening, Halloween haunted houses started yeah. coming back, yeah. right? And there was stuff like, you know, there was, there was blackout and there was mm-hmm. all these, you know, that were these experiences that were awesome and scary and fun. But they were just at Halloween. Yeah. So I'm sure somebody, and 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 they saw, there's an audience here. I mean, there's an audience. And they were booked. They would sell out, you know, if you didn't get your tickets uh, for the Halloween ones, they would sell out really, really fast. So I'm sure a lot of that was like, well, what can we do that is open year round? Yeah. Um, but I think it is that. I think it's like, okay, look, being an early adapter, I, I find myself, like, I don't know, four or five years ahead of mainstream as far as technology goes. Not because I'm smart, just because that interests We're neophiles, me. Neophiles right. as they used yeah. to say in the nineties. Yeah. yeah. And so I've got I I find myself if I'm feeling this way now, the majority of people are gonna start feeling this way in a few years. Yeah. You know, it was the same, you know, I never forget going to Fourth of July, see fireworks, you know, with my daughter a few years back. And as the lights go down, we were in a stadium in a high school. As the lights go down in the stadium and the fireworks start, a sea of screens go up <laughs> to record the event. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Okay, first off, you, nobody's going to go home and watch this video. And yeah. it's like, why? 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 You know? Why, why? Just put the phone down and experience. And yeah. Look, you're here with 3,000 people. Yeah. And experience the experience and be it's in the like moment.
0: If you've got that screen up there and you're, and you're pointing it towards the fireworks, you're watching the fireworks through, through a screen, the screen and not seeing the so fireworks. So you might as well
1: just... We'll stay at home and watch the video. Yeah. And I
0: think I
1: felt kind of alone in that feeling, but I think more and more people are starting to realize that and feel that, yeah, yeah we've got to... The, the, the devices have taken control of us. We need to take that control back. And yeah. We need to learn how to uh, go against all of this, you know, very purposeful design that's there to, you know, to hook us to our devices, yeah. and we've got to go against that. So I think people are like, I want to do stuff where I can go out with my friends... Um, and we don't have like back in the day before the internet, you know, there were places you would go to hang out with your friends, you know. There, yeah. That was the mall, yeah. you know. I mean, there were that was one of the reasons why the mall, you know, pe- it, people do that so much less nowadays. Um, now you got to have like a reason to, like, you've got to have some activity yeah, you're doing. Yeah, you don't just to go to justify leaving, right? There's not like a place. I mean, sure, you got like the grove, but I mean, it's still it's just kind of not the same. And even then, so so I think there's this desire that. People have, and I don't even think they necessarily realize that they have that yet. But there, I think that's been like, oh, this sounds cool, and this is something I can go and do with my friends. Yeah, and it's it's basically it's immersive theater. I mean, and and plus it's a game at the same time. Yeah, laser tag back in the day, it's the present. You know, remember that laser <laughs> oh, tag I was huge remember. for a while. For
0: but it was but that's the thing. It was a very flash in the pan, and one thing right. I worry about, and you know, yeah, it's is, true. is whether or not the. Here, so, so my sort of take on it is that um, I think about Disney parks, I think mm-hmm. about Universal parks, mm-hmm. and I think about how the best escape rooms sort of feel like an attraction that could be in one of those places. Right? right? It's a themed space, right. there's a thing to do, it's a group activity, it lasts a certain amount of time, it costs a certain amount of money. It's a mini theme park. It's a mini, yeah. In the mi- middle
1: of town. Yeah. That you don't have to go out to, Al- right. to Orange County. To and,
0: and, if, and, and in a world where... I mean, you think about how much money they're spending on Shanghai, meaning Disney to build Disney Shanghai. Yeah. And you think about—I was just listening today to someone talk about—you know—they're—they're they're going to Orlando, and they were very happy because they got like a townhouse deal from a timeshare thing, so they're spending like a hundred dollars a night for a four-bedroom. And they were like, well, yeah," like we were looking at on property, and it was like three hundred dollars, six hundred dollars. And I know they mean a night they yeah. have four kids, yeah. And it's like. Oh my god, like this is like the one thing you're gonna do in 10 years, but imagine a world where. There's a Disney installation mm-hmm. in every region. There are remote
1: to, satellite and a little mini mini experiences, right?
0: For sure. You know, and and but you're not just going to want to walk in. I mean, one day when it's the holodeck, like and you're fine, right? I mean, we're all it's everything's marching towards the holodeck. Yeah, um, but like mm, maybe maybe. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, if we actually got holodeck technology. You know, then I mean, yeah. But like, you <laughs> know, like kind of the half ass way we're doing a holodeck right now, <laughs> not so much. But but that that feeling of. You're you're going into, and this is true for immersive theater. This is true for the escape rooms. You're you're going into a themed space. You're going mm-hmm. into an environment where um, you can let go of your normal daily identity. Mm-hmm. There's and a berm. Yourself. There's mm. a
1: berm that, that that lets you not see the outside world for a while. Yeah, you know, you're inside the berm, and yeah. and that was as as Walt Disney used to say. Um, he, he wanted to make it very uh, very strongly that you could never see outside of the city of Anaheim from when you were inside Disney, and that's why they, he built the berm that the train goes around on, yeah, so that you couldn't see outside, yeah, and that's why even to this day at California Adventure, you know, the roller coaster, you go up and the side that's facing the parking lots or the, that's facing the city has a wall on it, so you can't see the city, yeah, so it just kind of helps you escape that 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 outside world. So yeah, I think I think, and and theme parks. Disneyland is has a problem in that their attendance is through the roof. Oh my God, and they can't do anything to control it. They're trying to do different things that they're raising prices. It doesn't help.
0: Oh, I love it. And when, you, when I had an annual pass like last year, yeah. and the number one conversation you hear in Disneyland is people complaining about how many people are there. Then they talk about the fact that they're going to raise the prices mm-hmm. and and the next thing out of their mouth isn't, Oh, I'm not gonna pay anymore. The next thing out of their mouth is, hopefully, that'll keep everybody else from paying <laughs> it. Yeah, no. And it doesn't. But, I'm not. <laughs> I don't have an annual pass anymore because, like, I'm not paying all that money while they're like doing construction. But like right. a certain,
1: it's that monthly debit card thing that I yeah. think has killed it because everybody. It's easy to do. It's like, oh, buy a ticket. You can get an annual pass. We'll just take thirty bucks out of your account. Absolutely, or fifteen or whatever. And,
0: it is. and it's. I mean, who it's hard to who find knows? a
1: day that's not crowded at it's either impossible. Universal or Disneyland. I mean, it's, it's impossible. Just like, yeah, and so I mean, I'm there's so some... scared when Star Wars Land opens because I oh need to live there. Oh my god! Yeah,
0: <laughs> how am I going to live there if there's going to be all these people? I mean, it's like, it's, geez,
1: it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Um, they can't build stuff fast enough, right? right? And I think there is. There's this new hunger for, for. Yeah, I guess like mini theme park experience. Anything that can be an escapist, immersive experience. You know, movies used to be that. You go to the movies and that used to be that. And I think to a certain extent, it's not so much anymore because I guess we're just more sophisticated now because we can watch movies at home. So it feels less... Oh, you know. Well, when, and the,
0: it's funny how the big movies have gotten to be more like TV in the sense that the yeah. biggest movies are the Marvel movies, and those are serialized fiction. Yeah. It's a, lo- it's a long, disconnected television series yeah. that comes <laughs> yes. out
1: two or three times a year. On big screens. Yeah. Yeah. it's That's true. It's not like the big... Event that it used to be anymore, and I, you know, I even found myself. It's like, yeah, I got an Arc Light. There's an Arc Light open in Culver City. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna bite the ball, I'm gonna become an Arc Light, you know, member. and yeah. Do that stuff, and so even then, it's more of a less. It's just like, oh, this way I can get out of the house, but it's not a big immersive thing like yeah. it, like it used that to Arclight be. Is so far. So <laughs> it, it is, but it's better than what used to be there. It's true. That's so, true. And I can I can take beer into the theaters. So yeah, I'm a no, that part of it's really nice. Yeah. So
0: Hal, Hal Hefner uh, and I <laughs> went and saw uh, Star Wars his second time, my mm. Panther or something like that, and uh, I was shocked at. The, this, this oh. is, the bulb quality was like oh. like so I saw that film so many times I saw it in every format possible and that was like the worst projection yeah, and I was like a bad projection in an arc light this an arc light, wrong. terrible
1: yeah. yeah I think maybe they were that was when it first opened too so yeah. maybe there were some best, my best screening was the Vista that was the one oh, I enjoyed yeah. the most I didn't go to any of the L, I mean for me that was like yeah, the pure the movie Viz- guy in me was like oh 35mm the Vista was magical and, and actually I had the best sound mix of any anything Theater, I was at. Is
0: it like for those those of you who are in Los Angeles who haven't been, and that was the first time you'd been to the Vista? No, no, I've been no. have okay, been a couple times. Okay, good, yeah. good, 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 good. Um, yeah, I knew what I was in for. Good, I'm glad. Um, but those of you who are in Los Angeles who've never been to the Vista, um, it doesn't always play 35. Although no. they can on occasion when the, when there's a print struck these days. Right. But it's a single screen house in Los Feliz. It's got uh, an amazing sound system. Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter where you're sitting there. That thing no. kicks. Back row y- y- kicks.
1: And it's got the most leg space of any, you know. Oh, my it's like God. Two, it's like two rows of if, legs. You know. If
0: airlines had the leg space oh of my the God. Vista Theater, we'd never yeah. get off planes. Yeah. Um, and it tends to play whatever the very big film is. Mm-hmm. You can't buy tickets online. You can't buy tickets online. You must line up. You can buy them in advance, but you just right. got to walk up. Which weekend. I love that. Oh god. <laughs> Blissfully. And it's nine fifty for a regular show yeah. and six fifty for a matinee. And if the show's big enough or not that long enough, there'll be two matinees on a weekend.
1: And the owner mm-hmm. is out there every night yeah. in costume for, for whatever's playing. For yeah. whatever the biggest show. So yeah. he was there as a stormtrooper. He's magneto uh, right now. He's magneto right now. Yeah. And they was... play and they play in the music while you're waiting for the movie to start. Oh and they play cartoons. Yeah, I saw a freaking Mr. Magoo cartoon yeah. before before Star Wars. It was that amazing. Was, that was rare. That was a rarity. <laughs> oh, was it?
0: They don't usually do that. And in fact, on opening night, I loved it. On opening night, they didn't. In fact, on opening night, um, <laughs> for Star Wars I'm, opening night, for Star Wars Force opening Awakens. night, for, for Force Awakens opening night, uh, I'm horrifying so many of my <laughs> listeners right now. Like, oh my god, he's going full full Star Wars nerd. No, this wasn't supposed to happen. This was a special episode. I won't mention the
1: X-Wing sitting here on the table next to the Darth Vader mug.
0: That's not Darth Vader. Oh, it's not? That's Kylo. Oh, it's Kylo. (laughs) He was facing away from me. Oh. (laughs) Um, it's basically way the, people. The, like for the opening night, they didn't even show the Lucasfilm logo. Like they had just forwarded it to the point. Where oh! that, so when the curtain opened, it was just a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and we didn't know. We were like, "Oh, oh we're going to get some trailer thing." And then the music started, and it was like it was the most magical thing ever. Like That's awesome. there wasn't anything. There wasn't even a single logo. It was just the movie. And then, then a couple of nights later, Can't they, they got in the trouble for that. I don't think they got in trouble. I think it's because <laughs> because they they were requested. JJ requested that they run that 35 there Yes, and no one makes 35 trailers anymore and so there was nothing to put on oh, yeah. and they probably barely had any leader and so then the one of the reasons why they ran the Mr. Magoo I think was just so that there was something to run oh okay um, alright you know, but I later. loved it oh and, it and so plus, nice
1: and plus they, they play music they play movie scores yes in, in, it's the way it yeah. used to be. It's the way it used to be. Was, I, I used yeah. to be a projectionist. You when too? I was in, when I was in college, Good I was God, a projectionist man, at a little a little mom and pop theater in Canoga Park across from Canoga High School. Oh, wow. And he was like, you just do whatever you want. And I would put like mixtapes together of like my favorite film scores and play those. Oh, wow. You know, and, and so I got to do all that. And then, I even, and then even it was like, it was a two projector system. And I remember <gasps> one summer... Yeah, remember? Old the school. Days? I old never school. worked the, one of those. I only worked projector Potter system Vision. And one summer, one of the projectors was broken down. So I had to just like re-thread the projector as fast as possible at the end of every reel. I was like, there were three, you know, they were large reels. Yeah. But still, I'd be watching for it, and I'd slowly bring the house lights up. <laughs> and they'd be all like, boo, boo. <laughs> and I'm frantically trying to re, oh, re- rethread the projector for the next reel. Anyway, God, we digress. Wow. But the Vista you know what, Theater. You know
0: what? There's something... There's something I this is interesting because like you've been an audio guy I've been an audio guy um, I was I worked um, not I was one of the non-union projectionists but we did have a union a couple of union uh, guys uh-huh. uh, at, at the place where we are at as well like they were the main projectionists but like it was the era when there wasn't you know um, enough to like keep it going so we had a bunch of the normal staff were trained to just run the run projectors the projector. but we didn't sure. do any of the maintenance and we and no. a couple of the people did the did the trailer pass no I just
1: ran the projector and yeah, manually rewound it on the yeah. rewind machine.
0: But and I was just at the level of like I I would, I was one of the people like you know running the projector, but I didn't I didn't do the trailer packs or anything of that nature. Although like I had I cut I learned to cut audio on like audio oh. tape. Oh so me too. Like, yeah. So like you know if 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 there was a splice need like you know if it broke or something like that, I knew to like put it together. But there's something. I mean maybe that's one of the reasons. I mean this is almost like pessimistic, right? But maybe that's one of the reasons why we're into this sort of stuff is like that desire or that knowledge of like how these things come together this like granular mm. knowledge i mean for us film is a tactile thing like for me audio is a tactile thing like sure i'm going to edit this on garageband but like the first time i ever edited audio it was with a grease pencil mm-hmm. and a razor blade Right. On like magnetic tape. And you understand the way that the medium, the literal media itself dictates the terms of of why these things are the way they are. Right. I mean, most people in terms of film, they got that education when they watched um, Fight Club. Because like the burn mark thing in that movie, it's <laughs> right. like, and the two pro- and my knowledge of two projecting systems comes from Fight Club mm-hmm. because I had worked on the like, Platter Vision, and so I just like, oh yeah, you have this massive thing, but like you know, you, and you, and I would walk into theaters and look back into. I the think Vista. Thing.
1: I think Vista does the same thing because I was watching and and I was like, oh, there's there's burn marks for, for changing the reels
0: I think they might have I don't know if they were changing or if they because I've seen they'd splice them together they'd splice them together because there were still there's still burn marks there were uh, still burn marks on the planet because
1: like in yeah. the original Star Wars I remember every you know I know I can tell you when every real change was because yeah. you know as, as C-3PO is you know lowering into the yeah. I'm like well, real change you know real change because it's
0: like well and even people don't even know what that was think, now, nowadays they don't even know what that was think about it like R2-D2's name comes from real 2 day 2 yes it's true right. It's true, right? It's a film term. Yes,
1: it's it's an that,
0: that means yeah. nothing now to like someone shooting on, but like it's so, and, and and this this idea. I mean, there is there's something, there's a way to see the immersive stuff in the in the escape room stuff as this retro nostalgia desire to escape. Right? That's almost mm-hmm. like the negative spin on it. It's like all, yeah. oh, it's like a hipster retro. Like, yeah, we're I don't, gonna like get into the physical space and like. Turn, I think it's like, more like, than plane. that for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it is. But yeah, I like uh, I like. I, the, I think it's just that I sometimes. think I mean
1: to me, the digital world was an exciting I, I say was you know it was an exciting <laughs> new horizon. Yeah. Right. it was like oh my god the internet was an exciting new place and then we and, turned into a cat box <laughs> and it turned into basically then then once Facebook and every you know social mm. media came along, now it's like now everybody's there yeah. and I I don't, I don't want I don't mean to seem elitist in this but it's like you know in the in the early two thousands not that many people were online so yeah. it was a different crowd right it was just a different crowd people that you would meet online it was and they, and 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 they, they 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 the culture there there were rules there were rules and people mm-hmm. knew how to behave and knew what was what back in the early days and now it's just everybody it's just throwing everybody in well, and it's changed things and now it it loses its i don't know it loses its it's it's luster. Well, you know,
0: and and you know, here's something interesting, right? It's like so, like I mean, we're we're two we're two white guys of uh, of, of certain ages, uh, and and it can seem like talking about a place of privilege, but one of the things about the internet in the '90s and the and the early aughts was it was a place where uh, weirdos and mm-hmm. people who were oppressed or people who had alternate lifestyles, people of color, yes. could connect with. Each other in in a, in, a, in in the parlance of our times in a in a safe space, yeah. and there was a way in or co- which
1: and connect with other people right. without the the stigma of what they were dealing with right. In the
0: daily you race. could you could find the others yeah. right. There's find the others was yes. one of the mantras or find of, the tribe of, find your tribe right. yeah. That was we talked about that stuff all the time yeah. And there was um, there was very much this this drive towards. Doing that, and in uh, in John Ronson's uh, uh, "So So You've Been Publicly Shamed," he talks about how in the early days of Twitter, it felt like a confessional, and everyone was very forgiving, and you could mm, go online. Yeah. and and this is how it was. It was like you were sort of like owning up to your human flaws, and then something happened when when broadband became ubiquitous, and like everyone was everywhere, and people. People who hadn't necessarily been like kind of like roughed up by the real world land online and were suddenly judging everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could send like a a, a hate mob after anybody, and (laughs) anyone who did that always felt very righteous about whoever they were attacking, and not seeing from like the broader perspective of we lost a place to show that we were human. And I, I what I was always hoping. For the internet, and was always hoping for our culture, was that that sort of the way the '90s made very public all these foibles about our public figures, about our politicians, about our performers and whatnot, mm. that we'd start to see everyone as more human, and that our media would find a way, our digital media would find a way to connect us to the human side of these people that we deify. Instead, what it seems to be is that we've tried to apply the same demands on normal people that we do from our very public figures. And what I'm interested in, in terms of these immersive and interactive narrative experiences, is getting back to that humanity, knowing someone, you know, you're more likely, for good or ill, to forgive the people you care about, their human flaws, for sure. right? You for can sure. see them as real person, and in a, and in moments inside these stories or these narrative experiences, and it's funny because we we haven't really talked about like design. Uh, this we're about an hour into the show. We can keep on going for a while, but um, in in these things, like you get to know these characters in this novelistic fashion, and so you know. That maybe the villain isn't as villainous, right? And it's not just like some simple like, oh, they were abused as a kid, but like there's there's something you find, you find their humanity Mm -hmm. and you get reminded that everyone in this experience, everyone in this story, uh is human at some level. When when the story is plunging back. Yeah. you know not everything does an escape room you know, about a serial killer doesn't right. plunge right. you in that right. direction right. but these these can these devices I mean you you could theoretically have an escape room that like really taught you about yeah. like a character well know? and there's
1: and I've always noticed that I mean it's, it's always amazed me that because of the various storytelling techniques and channels on in in alternate reality games, you know just the simple fact of oh we're gonna you know the trope of you're gonna hack into somebody's email account and now we have access to their you know their email account yeah. and that sounds you know cool but when you think about that yeah and when it's done well and done right it's I don't want to say voyeuristic but it's very intimate I yeah. mean it's like you 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 have access to some stuff that could be very intimate for the character. And it feels very real. Mm-hmm. I mean, it feels very impactful. I mean, yeah. and and I can't tell you how many times we've had a minor character and give the audience access to, like, a private Twitter account of this minor character. And all of a sudden, they latch onto this character more than anybody else. Yeah. And it's amazing to see. It's like, oh, now we got to rewrite the character. and, And let's give them more because they really love this guy. Yeah. And it's crazy. There's no reason for it other than the fact that, wow, they're seeing... They saw his intimate emails. They saw... Emails from his wife asking him to bring milk home. They saw the spam he was getting. They saw something from the but something about them really made them feel, you know, that 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 they knew him really well. And I think I think that is a way of storytelling that I mean Oh, I was gonna where did I? where was I leading with this? Uh, <laughs> I got I got caught up in the emotion. <laughs> um, um it 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 creates this intimacy with a character yeah, uh, that is very unexpected. Oh, yeah, it, it's, it's just in the fact even with Dark Detour, you know, I don't know any other medium where, and it's not just Dark Detour, but now, you know, you have characters that they get birthday cards, they get birthday emails from people, birthday wishes yeah. on their anniversary. You know, our dead character from Dark Detour to this day continues to get, you know, and when he died as a character, people were really hurt yeah I mean and they express themselves it was very touching to see people express their love and their sadness for this character I'm going this is a fictional character these are words and pictures on a page yeah there's no flesh and blood here but yet it felt that way and John
0: Titor just for those from my show don't know was a uh, Halloween timed uh, ARG sort of narrative that you did uh, you've done twice now around around the, the spooky season like, right,
1: what? right. And it took place, played out on social media. It wasn't yeah. really an arc so much as it yeah. was more just like a, a, a... story. An immersive story that yeah. takes place on social media, which is the same way we keep up with all of our friends' lives. Exactly. And so we were getting this information. We were living vicariously through our friends' this characters' travels, and it felt very much like all my other friends that I'm keeping track of. So it felt very real. So I think when that pulls off, I mean, people... Uh, yeah, I think there's something to what you're saying. I mean, yeah. in, in in that um, we could use that for for pe- it's to make people empathetic instead of right instead of judgment. I mean, I don't know. There's something. Yeah, there's something weird there. There's something that I wish we could fix. You know, and and yeah. now and now online it seems like I was laughing today because you know with the SpaceX landing, you know the most recent one. Yeah, uh, I saw a video of this of this uh, flat earth uh, wacko showing the video, showing how it was fake, you know, and oh saying it ridiculous. God. Yeah. And I'm thinking all that's happened is it's given all these people that have extreme views a huge platform yeah. and a huge audience. And more and more recently, I don't know if you're familiar with Poe's Law that, mm. that, that talks about, you know, sometimes it's hard to differentiate between satire and, and reality yeah. because it's so close, yeah. you know, and you can't tell, I can't tell if this guy's just trolling us. Right. Or if he really believes all this stuff. Because yeah. you can't tell the difference anymore. And the
0: scariest thing are the people who may not who may not and then the, the people who don't know the difference yeah. and believe believe yeah. him. And or so, even even people who are making it who don't know
2: like I don't know if I'm
0: real or not yeah no like, I mean you can you stay get, in. you get on this feedback loop and if people are like responding right. so positively they're like oh, oh this is what and I And and look
1: at all the views I'm getting on look at all the money I'm making off these and more views and it yeah. becomes this self-perpetuating machine yeah. that it's like becomes harder and harder to tell what's real out there and what's, what's not and yeah. so this is boy, we're we're really down a rabbit trail here with this stuff, but seriously, uh, but but, but I think it's
0: it's, it's it's there. It's scary. I mean, like whoa, and then there's like the whole thing that came out recently about like China like some like 438 million i don't know if it's a year or a month but like there's like a there's like an effort by like the the party in China to like just flood their internet with positive messages to oh. counteract like the reality that's going on yeah. so like their version of twitter is filled with like
1: yeah twitter's a know. toxic place for most for oh. people that have any sort of pu- public you know public life at all yeah. i it's been pretty tame for me because i'm just you know, a dude. I'll uh, get
0: I'll get t- tastes of it once in a while, and like, I mean, I'm on a couple of Gamergate block lists. Oh man! And but like, but just oh god, but it's like the barest, the yeah. barest. Because I don't have the instinct, I don't have the I'm gonna jump in there, get into an argument. Yeah, I don't either. I instinct, walk away. I don't. And I yeah. definitely don't have the instinct to say like, oh, here's this person who's got 40 followers who said something mean to me. Everyone, look at this person yeah. who has 40 followers who said something mean to me. <laughs> Which is a way to, like, it's a cry for sympathy. It's a way to get people to, like, rally around you. But, like, everyone who does that, I'm like, don't you realize that you took this person who had no followers, you showed them off to all the people who hate follow you, and you just gave them allies. Yeah. Like, it's one thing when it's like, oh, here's a person with a couple of thousand followers who's, like, you know, throwing their people at me and, like, get into that fight. But, like, that's sort of, like, I'm going to pick rando number 717 and make an (sighs) example of you. You've only made the enemy stronger. Yeah. right like I just I don't but I don't and I don't know I don't necessarily know what's motivating that behavior and I don't know whether or not the people who do it have a network sensibility and if they can see the network effects I don't of their think actions they
1: do. I don't think they do I think they just <clears throat> I think they're just upset and they so just, like yeah. yeah and they love to stir shit yeah and, but that's that's been the case forever but it's, yeah. it's true Flame I think, Wars Flame Wars have been online since yeah. day one yeah. you know um, uh, but back in the day you knew what a flame war was and, and yeah. you knew, were you knew how to deal with it there were limits yeah. Nowadays, people don't know the know the difference. There's so everybody's there. They don't have this yeah. this cultural background of having lived through these early days and knowing that oh, this is trollish behavior, this is flame war behavior, you know, and knowing what's and, what, and they and just they, run with it. They
0: run with it. They escalate, and then it gets yeah. an, And there there are real consequences. I mean, oh, swatting is a scary swatting is a the thing. There was
1: the gal that did that innocent tweet with the AIDS joke, as she got on a plane, and then she got off the plane, and she lost her job. Yeah, uh, because uh, of just Twitter. Saka. Yeah. yeah, just because of Twitter and, it, shame. and it was
0: it was a. Horrible thing she wrote. Like it was, it was, it was dumb. And it was stupid. It was ignorant. And she like, but she, she, but she was saying it because she thought like her friends was. She was saying it, it to her friends, right? Not you know.
1: realizing that it's public and for everybody. Right.
0: And, and and there's so many people who like forget. And this is the thing is like there's and actually I think this does come back to what, what to our world, which is that you know this this the digital has become increasingly. All public all the time. Yeah. The idea of there being a place that is semi-public or semi-private, um, you know, you can't get that online. People want, and people want Twitter in particular, they want Twitter to be like semi-private and to like only have the people who they want to talk to talk to them. And that, yeah. I get that instinct because sure. if you cultivate it right, you can kind of make it that way, but not all the time. Like all it takes is like one person putting you on blast And suddenly, your inbox is filled with like horrible people. There's no
1: way to just post on Twitter just so that only your followers can see it, unless
0: you lock your full account down, and then then it's just that, and then you're not getting the you're not getting the positive side of it. Right. And so this instinct to can we go into a um, can we go into a smaller space? Can we go into can we find a way to create? like a temporary autonomous zone like a Taz you yeah. know and like you know can we create like the version of like a little mini Burning Man it's a, a little minute,
1: it's a little know? mini safe place in a way yeah where you can just be yourself and I, you know what I think there's something to that you know yeah. you can be an escape room with your friends yeah. and you can try new things and you can make dumb dumb choices and yeah. try dumb things you can but fail you can fail yeah. uh, but it doesn't have to be a public failure I yeah. mean even even, uh, you know I, I, I would hope that at the end of the escape room, when they tweet, you know, here's this team. I, I would hope that you could say, you know what, don't, don't, don't share us. Yeah, if you want, we blew it. But yeah. I think, <laughs> but I think there is something to that. It's like let's just put, and we're just here with my friends, and we're here doing this, this experience. Yeah. and it is, for lack of a better term, it's team building. It is very mm. much very social. Yeah. and so I think that's why things like that, even things like Wicked into Exploding Kittens, these card games, mm-hmm. that. Uh, or you know uh, cards against humanity. I mean, there's an the online version of that, but at the end of the day it's you're sitting around a table with your friends mm-hmm. playing cards, yeah, and you know you're not tweeting about it you're not it's not t- on it's not there for play it's it's again it feels like it feels like we're trying to i th- I think generally we're subconsciously realizing something that we've lost mm-hmm. and trying to get it back.
0: It's interesting you should bring up like Ka cards against humanity and just like the the explosion of the card and board game scene yeah. in the past few years, um, so much of that being fueled by Kickstarter and by crowdfunding, right? <laughs> Interesting. You know? Yeah. Um,
1: Explaining it in the same way.
0: And 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 even in even in the context of Kickstarter itself, like the most consistently successful Branch of Kickstarter is the card and board game branch, right? And there's, oh, interesting. There's, there's higher stakes things that like do really well, like the Pebble yeah. Smartwatch, et cetera, et cetera. But this this idea of like, oh, I've got this game, and we're going to advance it, and and it's people are willing. It's sort of funny. They're using the digital tool to fund this thing that they can then go to enable and, and enable to enable yeah, a, to enable a, to real enable a
1: reason. For me to invite my friends over. Yeah. That's not just, okay, let's watch Jurassic Park on Blu-ray. Right. Let's k- get together and we'll have a, a card game. Yeah. And we'll have fun and we'll get out the wine. And, you know, it's a dinner party excuse. Yeah. For lack of... This is L.A. We don't do dinner parties as well. Yeah. Um, for various reasons. For various reasons. Yeah. Um, but this... I, I think there's been... But I've been to a few... Exploding Kittens parties. I've been to a few, you know, things like that where there's always... It's not like, just come over for a party. There's. It's a lot of times there's a reason for it. And this is giving people a reason. And I think in this busy time, it's one thing to say, yeah, I'm throwing a dinner party, come on over. Then you feel like, oh, if I don't show up, it's not going to be. But, you know, if it's a game... Yeah. If uh, if I I think that that makes it sound a little bit more I don't know more fun and it's always it's always safe. It's like I don't have to worry about small talk if I'm playing a game.
0: Well, that's something. <laughs> and there's and there's something to that, right? I mean, like the experience of I mean a good immersive theater piece. People go through it and then they come out and they've got something to talk about. Yeah. Oh, right? absolutely. That's you know, it know, too. In a massive way. And and what's really interesting if if it's one where you've broken your party up and you've gone in different directions, yeah. you may have like scored different parts of the narrative and then you can like you get together and you like you piece of oh you saw this. Oh well then that must mean this is what's happening and, and whatnot. Yeah. Which might even be sort of what they were aiming for with Tamara back in the day. Yeah. Of like, oh you're gonna you're gonna get all these different things and then like as a group. But, yeah, but tomorrow was
1: yeah, tomorrow was, you know, you go as an individual or maybe as a family or something yeah. like that. But I, I think there's something to this. I think we're we're hitting on something here is it's that it's that it's that uh, debrief at the end, yeah. right? It's like okay, now let's all go out, yeah, and we can talk about what we just did together. And and Sleep No More has a bar there, right, to enable you to do that. Oh yeah, right. Uh, so you don't have to have to go anywhere. And I think that's a huge thing. You look, poor, it's like when you go to a movie, you look. The fun part is going out afterwards and talking about the movie right. you just saw. Right. Um. So this is just it's just another giving you another thing to talk about.
0: Well, and the smart thing you mentioned, like Sleep No More has has a bar, uh. The Grand Paradise, same thing. They mm-hmm. have a bar, and it's the the uh, the speakeasy um, in San Francisco. Like, I mean, it is a bar. Yeah. Um, and this now, admittedly,
1: idea. there are monetary reasons why that's a good idea, but at but the same time,
0: but it's it, but it altogether, it's super smart. It's yeah. It gets back to the mini theme park idea of mm-hmm. like. You're going to build an installation. You're going to find a couple of ways to like monetize it so you can keep going. Maybe you have to plug in another other events or plug in another show at some point when like no one wants to go see that particular show anymore, but remix the space. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that that is where the immersive theater form must go yeah. if it's going to be sustainable in the long run, Um and in any of this sort of stuff, like it's interesting because um, you know the, there's there's places like Dave and Buster's that almost mm-hmm. can work it, but it's not quite the right fit. And yet, this idea of of having there be uh, uh, that third space or that fourth space, or the Starbucks is always called it's the third space, the space to go to. You think about things like. There's the game house in Glendale where that's like, you know, uh-huh. they have all these board games. And you go to other places. Like there's a place in Berkeley like that, and it's like, we're gonna charge you four fifty an hour to access our, our board game library, and then you can buy like snacks and whatnot. And then there are I know in like Florida or somewhere there's like bars that are like nerd bar themed and it's got right. the same kind of games. It's like we're gonna sell you all the stuff that you would n- normally do, like, oh come have your D and D night here. We'll, yeah. say, we'll get the pizza ovens right here. There's a brand, brand new
1: place that opened up. I forget now where it was. It's based on. It's it's called the Walled City, and it's based on. It's it's interiorly. It's design, It's a big arcade, but it's it it inside looks like the Kowloon's Walled City. Oh, Kowloon, Whoa, they yeah. They used to have the Walled City, so it's yeah. kind of that whole vibe. That kind of, wow. yeah. And and uh, it just opened up, so yeah. they're creating these spaces for people to, yeah, do stuff.
0: Yeah, and, and and the the trick is like, how do you how do you make those either sustainable or, like, really, yeah. really profitable, right? Because, yeah. you know, you can't, sadly, you can't just throw up a tent somewhere and, like, have this stuff go on. You've got to find a way to to crack, crack the money. But I think it's, like, a matter of, I mean, how does how does Disney... Well, you know, let's talk about it. So, yeah. I
1: mean, the to me, the big challenge with, like, immersive theater, getting back to the topic, I guess, yeah. or more directly, the nuts and bolts <laughs> of it. I mean, to me, it's like, okay, look, Sleep No More, I will... Probably not as... Financially successful as people think it is, um, their bottom line is probably a little bit higher than a lot of people realize, um, and and so I mean I'm it's not expensive. No, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not yeah. either. But I mean, just the fact that I, I think that we talked about the volunteerism part yeah. of it. I think that's out of necessity. Yeah. And plus, you know, and the fact that you know I, I keep hearing rumors of one happening here in L.A. and It's just kind of not happening because I think the, the, the financial realities of it are still very much a challenge. Yeah. And, and I look at these escape rooms and I wonder the same thing. I wonder how well they're doing. I wonder how they, you know, how, what their margin is and how much, you know, how, how healthy they are as a business. Uh, Because I wanted to succeed. I wanted to, you know, um. And it comes down to, you know, if you look at something like, you know, you're talking about the basement. I mean, that's that's a huge initial capital cost. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, how long is it going to take for them to, you know, see black? Yeah. Uh, Whereas you have, like, Disneyland and these, you know, these places. And even, you know, Knott's Berry Farm. And I think Six Flags is doing better than it used to be. Magic Mountain. Um, Universal is obviously, I think, doing fine. Yeah. Yeah.
0: but even, like, Shanghai Disney is a massive gamble. A yeah, oh, m- totally. A massive gamble yeah, that totally. could that could impact the bottom line of that company yeah. and change yeah. the fate of And even Star Euro Wars Disney is, and...
1: has still never <sighs> been the success that they hoped it was going to be. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, as a whole, Disney is no, it's doing yeah, fun. Yeah, you great. Know, it's so yeah. funny because yeah. it's like, why? Because Shanghai Disney is... is Costing so much, does it have to affect these other parks that are having a cut? It's like because really that money's there. It's just some bean counter saying no, we got to keep the butt you know it's, budget. It's,
0: it's the Wall Street side of things. It's, yeah, it's like the, it's like a, oh, Apple just like right. got more profit than every other company before, but they didn't meet the Wall Street expectations. Right. It's like Apple told you what they were going to do, no. and they did what they said they were going to do, and yet you're still going to take money with the, them. It's
1: the line from Silicon Valley that's so true. Our main job is is to is to um Make our stock go up. That's our main job. It doesn't matter what our product is. Our main job is to make our stockholders happy and keep 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 our 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 stock prices going. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, So anyway, but you know, I look at that and I I just like I'm I'm like, okay, I, I hope I hope that there's a good. Thing because I've looked at it. And look, I yeah. mean, you know, I've, I've had conversations with people going, you know, we should start a sleep no more here, yeah. you know, or we should start an escape room, or maybe there's an escape room in a box we can, you know, yeah. do for people at home. And what's the new thing? How are we gonna, you know, and even then, you know, even the stuff like Cards Against Humanity and, and uh, other, other really, really successful Kickstarter campaigns aren't quite as successful when they have to deliver the actual product, yeah. you know, and you realize that half of that money, and that's all taxable you know, mm-hmm. half that money, I mean, the, the rule of thumb I've heard is like half the money you raise is gone between taxes and, you know, fees, fees yeah. to Kickstarter and yeah. PayPal and all that yeah. stuff. And then you've got to then add manufacturing and shipping yeah. and your margin is a lot slimmer than, and a lot of these oh, yeah. people, and I know there's, I know there are a lot of Kickstarter projects out there. Who cannot fulfill. They just cannot fulfill based yeah. on the price points that they've done. Yeah. And now they're in a terrible, terrible spot. Yeah. So I mean, so the financial piece of this is really important because I mean there's all sorts of great creative stuff I would love to do, but that revenue model is still elusive. That that's that's successful revenue model is yeah. still elusive.
0: Well, and there's like so there's different things. So like, you know, if in the the advantage of theater is like it is possible to go the non-profit route, right? Mm-hmm. So you can, like, avoid the taxation thing a little bit that Sure. Way. Like, nonprofits still pay taxes, And we don't have the
1: benefit but... of people like Canada or somebody that get all these, you know, these... And, great, and, you and, know...
0: Which is one of the reasons why Kickstarter exists here the mm-hmm. way it does is because we don't have the arts funding to drive these things forward. But it's right. true. I watch friends make films, and, like, the taxes hit is, like, it's a real thing. It's crazy. And, and on top of it, the perception... Um, the, the end user perception is always like, well, why is why do you need all this money to do this thing? Here's this person making YouTube videos. Oh, and it's like...
1: Don't get me started. Dude,
0: like, <laughs> taxes. And until, I mean, maybe maybe just teaching everyone home at Eck and teaching everyone taxes in high school would solve this problem. But, like, people really don't understand. I don't understand the way money works. And, like... Um, but I understand that... If I pay $40 to a Kickstarter project to get a video game, I'm essentially still ripping off the people who are making that video game because of how all that money is going out. Because yeah. I know enough about how that side of things work. Right. But average Joe Gamer like doesn't. They just see, like, oh, this isn't a $40 game. This isn't $40 worth of value. And because they're so used to getting everything for free and that the whole way everything's been driven to free. But that's what's sort of interesting about the... Although we face some of that in the theater world. It's like, why is this a $60 ticket? And it's like, do you see how many performers are around here? You know, do you expect them to like be like selling their favors afterwards as if this was like (laughs) the renaissance? Like, (laughs) what's your problem?
1: ushers, the ushers and the crew and and the
0: facility. the the designers. The designers, everybody, everybody the director, yeah. So there's there's a whole, but I think, you know, we've spent... In some ways, like the, because of 100 years of the arts being something that was delivered to us in, in prepackaged media form, and the way in which the studios and the record labels, which dominated the, the media as the main purveyors of entertainment, and the fact that they're so good at hiding the money and making everything seem like it wasn't really profitable, so it just becomes this myth. Like, well, oh, yeah, nothing ever makes money. Right. No, like some of these things actually don't make money because yeah. there's such an outlay going out. and But no one wants to talk about it. Like we're all kept in line by never talking about how much stuff actually costs. Right, right? yeah, that's true. So it takes a few creators and a few artists being really bold and saying, this is what it's going to cost. And yeah, I want to pay my collaborators and myself a living wage. And someone will get offended that it's like, oh, why are you paying yourself a living wage? And it's funny because, like, you know, even in the context of the podcast, I know you just started a Patreon. I've had a Patreon for a while. I don't take right now and, I mean... Unless we got really large somehow, which, which is so niche nerdy, I don't see a pathway forward for that. Yeah. Maybe if I talk more about VR or something like that. But <laughs> I, I can't see myself. In next week's episode, next week's episode, we go VR Podcast. Um, I can't see, and that would take two years to be profitable, <laughs> right? You that's another story. Um, I can't see a, a day where between this and the newsletter, That if somehow I found like sponsorships or something where we'd be doing anything but covering the Libsyn costs, covering the Mailchimp costs, because at a certain point the newsletter will no longer be free on Mailchimp for me to run, uh, covering the Squarespace cost, covering and maybe maybe once in a while paying a writer who isn't me or one of the newsletter guys the paltry sum of fifty dollars. To review a show in a place where we don't live, and fifty dollars for a write up
1: is nothing. Is
0: nothing, That's and I find nothing. kind of an insulting wage. And it's one of the reasons why I haven't even like jumped out on the Patreon yeah, yet yeah. to do that. But like maybe one day we can. Not even maybe right now. We limit ourselves in that we 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 have the Patreon that covers our core costs. I will not do this show as a loss. I, I don't make enough money yeah. to do it as a loss. And even then, I will still take risks. Like, well, I don't really have the Patreon to buy the microphone for Zay yet, but I'm gonna do it anyway. And I know three months from now it's gonna cover out. Yeah. Problem is, is then three months from now I'm like, oh, well, I want to do this other thing that we have. Yeah. But like, we just, just keep in the black.
1: No, yeah, you know, it's no, I, it, I, I, I think. The, the, and I, but I think, see, talking about immersive theater, I mean, yeah. it's, it's one thing to say, okay, digital stuff. Right. Uh, we know that's a problem with people right. not wanting to pay for it yeah. and people getting it for free. And sure, Story Forward has been free <coughs> from day one. Yeah. And, and for me to, I feel terrible. I feel, part of me feels scuzzy for like being like, hey, we got this Patreon if you want to help. If you find value, yeah. if you find value in what we're doing. Just throw us a a buck or two a month. And if we get 100 people doing that, that would really help us out a lot. Um, But at the same time, if you go – if a real tangible place, obviously there's costs, right? Right. People are more
0: willing to pay. But even then, they're like – There are people who like went after the Speakeasy Society at one point uh, because they were like, oh, this $60 ticket for this show. This was a show where you got dinner – (laughs) <laughs> and, a, and a beer and dessert what? and the show. And the show had like 15 actors in it. Yeah. So when it was all said and done, you parsed it all out. Like There wasn't a lot left there on no. like the table for them. I don't know if they made a profit on that. I would suspect they didn't. And yet the perceived value of a night of theater, particularly a night of theater that isn't Broadway or, at the, or here in LA yeah. at the Pantages or at Center Theater Group, is oh, this should be worth, this should be $25, right? And it's because it's what people are used to paying to go see, you know, a night of intimate theater somewhere. And this stuff just often costs more to put on. And even those intimate theaters... They're not breaking even. They're suffering too. Oh yeah. You did know? you ever?
1: Did you ever do the accomplice Hollywood stuff? That's I never did accomplice
0: Hollywood. Stuff. I did accomplice in, New York, in when New York. I was there last time.
1: Okay, and that's like a um, you know, sixty dollar ticket. Yeah, if I remember right. Yeah, and actors. Yeah, and and in
0: New York you get like you get a drink in two oh, yeah. places. Yeah, we
1: got Hollywood. We got like Mexican food. Oh my and, goodness. And drinks, and then even Italian food at the. I mean, it was like what? there were restaurants, and it was and it was, one of our Benham got a massage. What? yeah i was like what a massage and 60 bucks but then part of me is like gosh how okay the throughput on this there it's got to be really tight i mean even at oh, 60 yeah. bucks a ticket you know it's Low like budget. okay and even you know so it's like every i think it's like you can go through it's like groups go through every half hour and right. groups a maximum of 12. right so i mean to to make it work it's got to be full pretty much, right? And so, and even then, you know, but to me it's like 60 bucks. Yeah, is that steep? But yeah, but look what I'm getting for it. Yeah. I mean, this is a personal, this is not a mass produced, am I paying, you know, $16 to see a movie? Yeah. But... We're talking, you know. Well,
0: and, but that's also a like
1: broad. You know, they're they're getting
0: do all, do the math on the on yeah. the Mexican food and the Italian stuff. Oh, and I know. And, and you know like, that the restaurants
1: yeah. are giving them at you know a yeah. free or whatever because yeah. they're getting people in, into into the yeah. door is the thought. But it's
0: only a cost, and they're yeah. and they're, you, they're doing it as a marketing. I'm going to give yeah. you this a cost as a marketing expense. Sure, sure. But even then, like. How many people are actually going to go back to I mean am I going to go back to those places that I was in the New York and no way no in hell. I no I, not you even know? Hollywood
1: Boulevard I wasn't going to yeah. go back, you know
0: you I, know don't.
1: I might if I was there, but I don't find myself no. in that part of Hollywood. We avoid oh, it. <laughs> generally, but was it amazing and excellent and fun? Yes, the experience was great and well worth. I would have paid. I, it would have been. I would have paid a hundred bucks. Yeah, uh, but you don't
0: know that until you go in and do it. No, that's but, the big thing. Like until you've done one of these things, it's yeah. like we talk about Hopscotch, which was this amazing oh, yeah. opera. Yeah. that was done last year, and it was, was like, that the one in the in the in the limos. The cars. It was yeah. in the limos, uh, and it was like $150 a hundred fifty dollar ticket, and they. There were three tracks. That was the, the that thing. was the one that
1: ran into into trouble in one of the one of the neighborhoods, didn't it? It oh, ran yes. into trouble. Yeah, I ran into in Boyle Heights. In Boyle pro- Heights, there was a protest. There was a protest because yeah. of gentrification. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and you know, like they're they're not entirely wrong. No, it's right? it's kind of true. The, yeah. There was
1: a valid point to the, yeah. what the protest was, but still, and,
0: and but but definitely like kind of like you know because it's opera, right? Like you're yeah. totally going to hit that. But like, <laughs> <laughs> I looked at that ticket. But very lucky. Jeremy Thompson is sad I profited off of Now, someone's... explain the Hopscotch for those. Okay, the, so Hopscotch. So Hopscotch, there's a company here in L.A. called uh, The Industry, and it's an opera company. Uh, Yuval Sharon, who I need to get on the podcast at some point. It's sort of funny. I haven't had him on yet. Um, maybe because I haven't tried. <laughs> um, maybe because I'm intimidated. Both are true. Um, call us now. Yuval, call Call now. Um, Yuval has done a series of works, and indeed, uh, a piece he did called Invisible Cities, which was at Union Station, which involved an opera that was Uh, broadcast through headphones. uh. Um, The fact that I missed that, that I didn't know about it until it was too late to get a ticket right after I got back from New York from having things Sleep No More and then she fell, is the reason why no proscenium exists. I was like, oh. I shall never miss a show again. <laughs> As God is my witness. As God is my witness. And yet when Hopscotch came along, because I hadn't seen the other work that he, that he had brought together in Mastermind fashion, I was like, $150 is really steep. That's more than Sleep No More. I don't know if this is going to be worth it. So I didn't get a ticket. And then I got... Uh, very lucky in that someone I knew Jeremy Thompson had bought a ticket for his mom and the plane got snowed in and so she couldn't get out here and it was really sad and Jeremy was nice enough to like I think you should see this and so I went wow, nice. and I went and I saw it with Jeremy and his wife and like and our friend Dana Shaw and I was like oh my god this is amazing it like delivered it felt very it felt more like a third rail project thing than a than a, than a than a sleep no more type thing and I'm, I'm already like oh yeah $125 $135 for, for a third rail project for a Grand Paradise But then she fell no problem so I saw one one track but just one track of three right it was $155 but I was like oh yeah I'd pay $150 for that that's not an insignificant expense for no, me by the no, way no. like that's like a, I'm not doing anything for, for a couple of months right no. you know um, but it was it was worth it yeah um, but how to take something where you don't know? It's interesting because in the opera world, quantity. right? In sure. the opera world, things are expensive, right? One hundred fifty dollars is what you pay to go see The King and I on Broadway, sure. right? I mean, Linda had that ticket in my hand, comped from a friend. They're like, oh, great! It's really, 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 really expensive. It's a different tier. It's a different, and there's there's a class thing to that. I and mean, in some of the stuff that was going on in terms of the criticism of like. What well, the speaking side he was doing was definitely like there's a class thing. It's like you come out of college, you're poor, you're an artist, you're trying to scrape by, and your friends say, hey, we got a show, and it's $60. And you're like, what? Now, I come to you and say, hey, The Cure is at Hollywood Aboard. That'll be like $200, $200 $300 for yeah. Hamilton. When's Hamilton coming? <laughs> you know, like, like those sort of things. But that's a value. It's like, you know, you've built it up. Like sure. what price, you know, what price for tickets to see the original cast of Hamilton right now if that's your bag. I know people who've done four figures. Oh, I, right. What price to see The Cure up close? What price to see Florence and the Machine from like a box seat? You know, but you have a pre-existing relationship to that stuff. And all this stuff is new. How do you bootstrap The arts. Exactly. And I thought Kickstarter was going to be the solve for that back in like 2009, 2010. And
1: Indiegogo and the others. Right.
0: And not really. It's like you still have Mm -hmm. to have a pre-existing fan base Mm -hmm. to bootstrap. And so every single one of these companies in immersive theater is having to try to bootstrap themselves. And one of the reasons why No Persinium continues to be a going concern is I hope that the aggregation of the audience for this type of work and the cross-pollinization of people who are interested in escape rooms, well, you might be interested in this weirdo theater. People who are interested in weirdo theater, you might be interested <laughs> in an escape room. You know, pe- You know, that sort of thing can start to go and it's not just this company over here has their 100 fans and this company over here has their 150 fans and they can definitely sell out, but that like... Anyone who's working in this space has a, a, a audience base that will, is at least attentive to yeah. what's going on, um, if not necessarily coming in on day one. And I'm proud of the fact that there are times when we can, if a show's really small, like like a like a fringe show or something like that, that's like oh this is going to be like for like 27 people, like we're like oh we sold that out, yeah, you know, like we can do that. It'd be great if one day, like you know, someone's got a run of a show and it's like two hundred and fifty people, and like we can sell it out in like an hour as soon as it goes on sale. Like I, that's 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 a personal goal.
1: Yeah, that um, should be. Yeah, it should be. It's it's just that yeah, it's just that what the market will bear. Right. Uh, the the value add to these sort of thing based on you know the cost at versus the cost of putting them on versus what the market will bear is 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 it a. There's a tightrope there right now. Yeah. it's it's just a really slim, slim, yeah. um, you know, narrow margin there. Uh, and so it's it's tough. Yeah. it's tough. And I, I don't, I don't. I mean, I'm not gonna fool my. You know, I don't want to pe- fool people. I mean, it, it really it's a tough go. Yeah. and I think it's. I think most. I would guess that most of the escape rooms are. It's not easy. No, I don't think they're necessarily struggling. Some of them are, but I'm sure yeah. it's not. They're not like sitting pretty. No, um, it's got a couple
0: a, of them that are like growing. Yeah, you know. But, but so. what
1: a constant! I mean, okay, let's do this big capital outlay, and now we just need to hustle, and we need to book this thing as solid as we can. Yeah, and it's just an ongoing thing. Yeah, keep it booked, keep it booked, keep it booked. And promoting. once
0: you've done one of those rooms, yeah, like I mean, the brilliance of like say the basement is there are two. Versions of the basement, yeah. and there's like an eighty percent switch of the puzzles. Yeah. So people can go through it twice. That is not true for most of them. There's another one. There's one. But even, one in... even if
1: I, I mean, even okay, maybe I would do it again, even if the puzzles were different. But you got to be pretty hardcore to want to go back to the same kind of thing, right. right? And do it again, even if the puzzles are switched out. Yeah. Uh, I I would I would venture a guess that their their return, you know, their their return, uh, their People that do it again, what is the word? I'm not anyway. The return, the return yeah, yeah. customer base yeah. is not is not as big as, as they
0: would hope. If it was prison, think. we'd say recidivist. You know, recidivist, <laughs> yes. Um, but no, it's it's true. Well, and there's I was being I was heard tale of one. It sounds really kind of cool in Orange County called uh, the Hex Room, mm-hmm. and the way that one's set up is like um, everyone's cordoned off initially. So there's like six different rooms. And you're by yourself. So it's a group of six, but like everyone's in a separate room to start. So it is possible to like X. play that six yeah. times, right? Sure. And that's that's and that's genius on a certain level. But it's also like so it was so hard and complicated that like they had to open up a separate, um, you know, basic room next to it in order uh. just to get people. People like, oh, I can't do this. Thing. I mean, for me, it's like okay.
1: For me, the business guy in me, which isn't a great thing. I'm more you know, but for me, the thought of like doing a haunted house for Halloween yeah. with a limited run two yeah. weeks yeah. you know it's something you can build up to and you can sell ahead of time and stuff that's a lot less daunting than for me to go okay now we're gonna make something that's just out there all the time yeah. and we just gotta keep it booked
0: yeah.
1: um, not a job I would you know not a job I would I don't envy those I don't envy those people yeah. and I don't support it as much as I would like I would love to sure I'd love to but you know escape the one other downside of escape rooms is you can't really do it by yourself no I had, somebody, have your crew. I had somebody give me a, a gift certificate, a Groupon gift certificate for an escape room, and I'm like, "Well, this this is great. I yeah. need to get now find somebody to go with. I don't want to do it go by myself with a bunch of strangers."
0: People people who tend to do it, they tend to have their team. Yeah, right. Exactly. Much like, much like you have your gaming group, it's like a yeah, it's yeah. like your trivia night team. Exactly. Like yeah, exactly. But but there's such a there's a nice form for that, and like sure. it leans in. In some ways, it's an advantage because like once you if you if you've oh, gotten the you point, you have really a good. group. Sure. You get really Good, but then like, once you have a group of people and that's the thing you do, it's like, well, what's the next one? And I think right. that's what yeah, keeps those go. rooms booked yeah. is that people have these groups and they want to go. Yeah. And like, I don't have a, I have people that I like to go with, but I don't have an active
1: group. Yeah, I know some of those groups.
0: Yeah, and I'll get I'll get uh, invites to go to rooms, mm-hmm. and then I have to put together an ad hoc group in order to do yeah. it. I got one of those outstanding right now. Actually, I've got to like reach out to a bunch of people and say, have you done this one yet? Um, but it's definitely it's. Um, but it gets back to that thing, like, well, what are you gonna do? You're gonna meet up with your friends somewhere, and that that other space. Yeah. And that was actually one of the things that was interesting about that was a design challenge that immersive theaters is facing is, you know, some folks are really good at designing one on ones, and some folks are really good at designing like sandbox type things. But this question of what does the group experience look like, or mm-hmm. like, how do you design with groups in mind, whether you're gonna break them apart or not. Yeah. Right, Like, how do you play to a group dynamic?
1: It's so different to, like, you know, okay, a play, you write the play. Yeah. You write the play, and then the this, this staged, and you're done. I mean, if you write one of these, I mean, there's a, basically, there's experience design, game design elements that you, techniques that you got to, you know, in order to be effective, you need to address. Yeah. Tons of that kind of stuff. Yeah. You can't just, like write words on a script and that's done and yeah. if people like it or not. But you've got to think about these, for lack of a better term, these interactive pieces or these yeah. flow pieces, you know, yeah. all these or the glue that holds these different and think in those terms. And I think that's, I I know that that's a very young science right now yeah. to a lot of people, although there's a lot of, a lot, of, or, or even worse, they don't realize that that's really the need and they just kind of like Just do it on the fly and don't realize that it can be finely crafted and there are people out there who know how to do that craft. Not a lot, but
0: well and there's and there's discipline that comes from the realm of video games and like Mm -hmm. video game storytelling design. Right. But like that is still different from a theatrical thing, and particularly because like you can only yield so much agency to the audience until it just becomes well, you're just gonna assemble this thing on the fly like an improv and just let them yeah. do whatever they wanna do. And that's not very satisfying either if you don't have full control, this plasticity of the agency. Although yeah. that's that's when people like you know, when people ask the question like, Well, oh, what is this immersive theater thing anyway? Like, that's what I actually point to is like, you need to be playing with the plasticity Mm. of the audience's agency. It doesn't need to be absolute, they have full control, but you need to give something. It could be like, all right, you have the ability to place the camera in the fact that you can walk within a bounding box and see things from a different angle, right? Or you can have the ability to open things up. But if all that happens for immersive is, I'm gonna sit you down in a chair and then like do the show all around you, that's what Starlight Express was.
1: Oh my God, Starlight Express. Right? I actually saw Starlight Express, yeah. That only came to mind because like, I saw a video of it the other <laughs> oh day, and I was like,
0: oh yeah, this is environmental. That's what uh, Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 is. Mm. Like, like, I mean, the stage looks, with the exception <laughs> of the fact there's no one roller skating, like, it's like, oh, there are these pods of seats around, and like, you know, it's staged all around people, and like, you might have to turn around if you want to see what's going on. But that's... Yeah. but that's environmental staging and that's yeah. that's fun and that's great and, that's, and, and if you've never been to a show like that that could be really, 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 really engaging but it isn't what we talk about when we talk about this thing of ours right. and that's something that maybe your story forward folks don't know like I feel like I sometimes get in trouble with producers of shows because they'll pitch me something or I'll come to it and I'll just be like oh, sorry, that's not that's not immersive theater. That's a nice piece of cabaret you got there. And yeah. I might really like cabaret. Or maybe it's like it's a bad piece of cabaret you got there. <laughs> but I have absolutely zero agency. There's no plasticity. No. no tossing a flower at me while I'm does sitting not at the table it Does theater. not make it immersive, does not make it immersive, right? You know? Like <laughs> it just doesn't picking one person out of the audience to be, you know, engaged with for a yeah. minute does not make it immersive. And I'll go to shows that actually, good cabaret shows that might do a hell of a lot more of that stuff. And wisely, they'll be like, oh, yeah, we're not really immersive. Right? Or like maybe the director will say, like, one of my friends has a piece that's really brilliant. And his director was saying it's immersive. And he was like, and he was the creator and like the star of it. He was like, nah, we're not really immersive. But I'll tell you, you know, like, with a couple of tweaks, maybe it could be. And it's, it's site responsive. There are times I feel bad that I didn't point everyone to it because it's so brilliant. It's actually, I'll just say it. There's a. There's a one man show called um, um, Shakespeare's last night out. Uh, uh, it's like what you will question mark or Shakespeare's last night. Out. I can't remember exactly what it is. It's one of those like Shakespeare productions. It's a one man show about the last night of Shakespeare's life and uh-huh. it's a musical <laughs> and it's it's absolutely delightful. And it's the it's the best thing one of my friends has ever made in his life. Uh, and he's made like a lot of good stuff and it's just got a lot of heart and it's got wit. And it feels like a tavern night type thing, but it's always about his performance. Mm-hmm. It's it's and as a great performer, he's engaging the audience sure. and playing with us a little bit. But it's not about our agency. No, it's not about our experience of anything but him. And that's fine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's been but that way for that's and there's, there's yeah no, there's nothing that's just great theater. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, these are the same issues that VR is facing, and mm-hmm. a lot of people don't even realize that VR is facing, but they're starting to now. Yeah. it's like, yeah,
0: this is you guys. This mm-hmm. is not more no. articles talk about immersive <laughs> theater now. It's funny because I'll watch people like write stuff that I wrote two years ago, yeah, like in publications. Is all like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was talking about that. You yeah. Know, like, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You know. well, welcome to the bridge I crossed. You know, yeah. two years ago. Yeah. You know, and you're you're supposed like, to delete it. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's it is it is just very much that. I mean I absolutely it's like VR. If we thought of VR for a second, you know, talk about immersive. I mean VR to me is added to a game system like like PlayStation, give me a headset that I can look around and I can be in the cockpit of an X Wing and I can look around and I can do stuff totally yes please please, please 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 I'm there. Yeah. You know that was but, my first experience. But give me a yeah. a, a video bubble to sit in and look around and be go oh I'm looking in the wrong direction I got to get up out of my chair now and turn around and look behind me yeah um you know not not so much I mean and 360 theater has been around since I saw 360 theater at Disneyland when I was a kid yeah you know in the 70s yeah not that new of a thing nope. and that was that was very high definition and yeah it was cool it's like oh look we're flying over the oh and the plane is tilting and oh my <laughs> gosh I'm losing my balance you know it's like this is not a new thing yeah yeah and you know, I think it's a great game peripheral. Totally, yeah. That's a no-brainer. But yeah. this other thing of going, it's going to change the face of filmmaking and stuff like that. Said, so, man, this has got a long way to go. I mean, there's this new hardware, and there's you know, yeah. and and well, there's
0: and, there's ways in which like what's interesting to me about it is is people start to explore it in as if it were theater, and you'll see folks, mm-hmm. you'll see people who, who are making it who say, like, oh, who've made theater and who've made films, who are like, oh, this is a lot more like directing theater than it is like sure. directing film. But then, but then on top of it, this idea of, like, the the, the relationship of the observer to the observed. Mm-hmm. Like, like, even if it's a passive relationship, it's still questions of how do we draw attention? How do we give the illusion of presence in immersive theater you you are still also you need to create the illusion of presence it's like i am no longer in the world that i was in i'm in this other space yeah. and so there's things you do you have more you have more special effects tricks in vr but the most significant trick is can you make the audience member feel like they're really somewhere whether they are a ghost observing the way you would be in Sleep No More, or if you're being addressed. And the addressed thing is like it's just really weird. difficult. Yeah. Like almost next to impossible. Yeah. Although I can see a version of this thing where you have we, we go like full Neil Stevenson and not not Snow Crash, but Diamond Age, and where there are actors in places who are, you know, performing the NPC roles in these MMO worlds mm-hmm. and the people logging in <laughs> and like and much like, like Turtle Time with Crush at California Adventure, where there's an actor behind a screen right. operating a CG character, and little kids are talking to the turtle and they think that it's just like the magic, but there's an actor, there's a real person. Yeah. But then we're getting back to this thing of like, okay, so How does this performance work? How does this performance capture? How do we how do we teach a a performer to engage with an audience and like shepherd them to where they need to be? Those are some of those things are simple, and some of those some of those are are complicated. You know, someone's got to be able to go off script if they need to. You know, you got to think on your feet. It's exhilarating, but (laughs) it's also really difficult. And how do you value that? Like in a world where everyone expects to have their MPC characters pass the Turing test. You either have to have really good AI or you have to be paying an actor somewhere to be operating that and both of which are, you know, rain money but, down. But honestly,
1: that. hiring the actor is a lot cheaper than right developing the
0: yeah. AI. Yeah. You know, and um, I prefer it to be the actor always because the yeah. AI, I mean, once no. that happens, just kill me.
1: No, I'm a big fan of using, you know, real people on the back end of something making it look like it's technology yeah because then that you can make the technology look magic and even if it's just something like object recognition it's like i'm gonna send away and this uh, oh my gosh this ai knew that i drew a picture of a of a dinosaur how did how did did the computer know that well it's really a person on the back end of that so it's it's really interesting
0: well, this is how are we doing on time? Are we, we're you know, We're at like, 150. We should probably stop. This is one of the longer stop. episodes. Oh, we, yeah. we always
1: split it in two.
0: You know? Oh, yeah, we could. I mean, we split could split it in two. two. But I, you know, we could I, pull the nasty trick of like, and now for the other half, go and listen. And now for the other <laughs> half. To
1: continue the conversation. <laughs> um, I think what I realized here is, I mean, really, even in the alternate reality game era, area, I mean, I've always t- thought of it as it's really performance art. Alternate reality games are, right, and yeah. it really is kind of it's just it's just digital immersive theater in a lot of ways because yeah. it really I mean and and there always has been that call and response thing where I mean part of what makes alternate reality games cool is that that responsiveness or or at lack of being able to res- be responsive to your audience creating the illusion of being able to be responsive to your that's audience that's a big one you know there was there was uh, the issue I always I always pointed at the time where uh, we did a game where a certain, you know, a certain politician was going to be voted into office, right. and people knew he was going to win the election. Yeah, and yet we provided a way for them to vote for this individual, and they loved it. They're like, yeah. "Well, I played a part in him getting elected into office, so now yeah. when I see it in the movie screen, it's like I voted for him." When they know the outcome, yeah. and we knew what the outcome was going to be. And in fact, we could have made the outcome whatever we wanted it to be. Right. Uh, and just they would have no way of knowing either way. But there's this illusion, creating an illusion of agency yeah. or an illusion of being able to impact and touch the story where uh, it's not really there. It really is on rails, but it doesn't feel like it's on rails. I think there's something there.
0: and that is, That's the whole thing. Yeah. In so many ways it's the illusion of agency. it's yeah. the illusion of choice
1: and I th- and it's easier to produce. Right? Yeah. We actually did a project once where we're like, going, okay, we're going to do it for real. We're going to give people a <laughs> choice at the end of every week to vote somebody off the island, pretty yeah. much. And we're going to write the story. And the result was it was just a mess. Yeah. You know, it was like, okay, we cheated a little bit. We, you know, a couple of them we knew we were going to vote off. But at the end of the day, it's like, okay, you can kill off this character at the end of every week. Yeah. And we're going to then like, so we had all these story branches that were based on. And it was just like, none of them were good because it's like, it's just, but, but if we, if you craft a story that makes it, and you can anticipate, you know, oh, the audience, especially with ARGs, with a with a hive mind, you go, you're going, oh, I know they're going to do this,
2: mm. and they're
1: going to want to do this, and they're so we make them feel like they've done this, so we're going to make them feel like they've helped the good guy only to find out that they've been helping the bad guy all along yeah. and all of a sudden they're like, oh my Oops. god. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Whereas it was on, it was, we knew the outcome yeah, and we just kind of manipulated the perspective uh and, and made it feel like they were doing it. Yeah. So I, I think that's can key. Feel,
0: people can wind up feeling very betrayed well, in that way. But yeah. that's also yeah. useful because like there's a way to like make that part of the point. You know, like there's a way, there's a way, you know, Oh, for the for the
1: twist, you mean of of helping it, yeah? Or
0: even for like at the level of the art, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think that all all great art shoves you into a place where you start to realize that perspective matters a lot. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 And and (laughs) when you when we have these things, you know, like oh, we got you know oh, we were railroaded. It's like all. No, like if you can if you start to get clever about it, first you're gonna be angry. It's and, gotta be clear. it's gotta be yeah, fair. It's yeah, gotta feel it's fair. It's gotta feel fair. And yeah. then you pull out and you're like, oh, that wasn't fair, but then you're like, Oh, I see the art of it here. I see how we were yeah. our perceptions were bent. That's the art of it. Yeah. I'm gonna make you it's suspension of disbelief. Yeah. I'm gonna make you see something that's not there. Right. That's the delightful part. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And if you can make them uh, If you can make them feel clever in the process, then that's a win too. That's the biggest part. To me, it's yeah. like it's like I want somebody in in the stuff that I do. I want it to end of the day. I want them to go. Inst- I don't want them to go. Ooh, the people that did this, they were so clever. I want to make them feel like, oh no, I was so clever. Yeah, you know? that's actually
0: one of the problems in the escape room industry. Oh From yeah, here is like make them feel like, smart. Ma- well, they'll be like, oh, like, oh, like you got beat, right? It's like no, make make it feel like a nail biter, but yeah. like don't yeah. don't. It's it's like in it's like the reason why I never really got into like Tim Schaefer. Uh, high you know point and click adventure games is like oftentimes the puzzles were like what number am I thinking? Yeah. Some, like, oh, random. some of them literally yeah. and it's like, well no. I don't know. It's like haha too bad you lose. Yeah. And it's like, no 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 make me I don't play these things to feel like an idiot at the end of no. the day. I play these things so that I hopefully I yeah. feel clever. To, to me,
1: in theory, the an ideal escape room would be one that everybody escapes every time. Yeah. But always just by the skin of their the skin yeah. of their teeth, right? Yeah. To me, that's a hundred percent win. Yeah, that way, every and they come out feeling exhilarated, and, and they, they feel like, oh my god, and yeah. they got the money's worth. Yeah. and I think that to me, honestly, now I'm just thinking this in my head as I say it. That to me is the one flaw with with escape rooms. Yeah, is that there's a fail state, and you can leave it going, ah.
0: Or if you're a good enough group, you can blow through a sixty minute game in twenty minutes. <laughs> right, exactly. And then you're like, why did I just pay $120? If
1: ultimately there would be this this you know this scalable difficulty level yeah. that you could always be tweaking somehow. Yeah. Right. That'd be like, okay, we're gonna measure, we're gonna tweak it now so that they're gonna they're gonna solve it right at fifty nine minutes. You yeah. Know? Oh, they're a little ahead of schedule. Let's make it a little more difficult yeah. now. I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. But in
0: theory You un- know, like oh that there's another be... puzzle they gotta unlock. Oh, they blew yeah. through this time. There was yeah. something something
1: like that or we're going to you know every puzzle have very they,
0: They've been exploring this in video games. I know we're trying to wrap yes, up, but like yes. this idea like uh, a piece I did was about uh you know they put galvometric sensors in an Xbox controller and then use that data to <laughs> affect the difficulty level on a shooter right. so that you're always on- at this is just the exact right of difficulty for you. We know what your heart rate is doing. We know yeah. you're engaged.
1: But that so might can, be exhausting, though. If I'm like, if you're that's like the punk rock version. It's like, well, the the music's always got to be at eleven, <laughs> right? <laughs> in, in reality, you can't. It can You can't. But it but, also, yeah. but
0: it can also drop down. It's like, oh, sure. okay, you're flagging. So we're going to get a little easier, though. Yeah. A little harder. A little yeah. easier. Give them
1: breathing. Give a breathing. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for for that sort of thing. Yeah. So. In a perfect world, so I always leave. I always like to leave there. So what's in the future? So to me, that's the future. The future is escape rooms where everybody wins every time, but everybody has a different experience winning, right? Yeah. That to me is the perfect escape room.
0: And and for me, the future is along the similar lines. It's where the 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 folks who are making immersive uh, immersive experiences really think about that kind of feeling for the audience yeah that they're that they're engaged to that peak like what's that peak and how do I get them there and hopefully how do I get the people if I got people who want like a little more control that I got a way to give them a little more control and for the people who want to kind of like sit back and ride the ride that I can that I can find a way to like separate them out and it may not yeah. it may not be able to do it in a huge way but but just enough. Or or I'm setting things. Actually, I'm gonna take. In some ways, I'm gonna take it back. It's it's about that the immersive stuff figures out a way to do tutorials and to teach people what that's like games. Yeah, like just like in games, yeah. like that. That first five minutes, ten minutes yeah. you're in a show, you're like, oh, I know, I know what I can do. Yeah, I know what I can do, and thus you start to like get that engagement. And I think more
1: audience empathy. I think that's that's the key. Yeah, this is like just always at the forefront of your mind. To me, it's like it's easy to get lost in the oh, this is cool, and oh, I need to say what I'm doing, or I need to get my thing. But if it's interact, if it's immersive, you always got to be have to flipping the coin and going, okay, how is this experience for the audience? Have to, and that's got to come first. I yes. mean, in a lot of ways, it's like okay, if that audience experience isn't optimum, you need to tweak what the flip side of that is a little bit. And I think that's that's key. And I think that's key. So, these are excellent things for the future. I think this has been this has been great, Noah. Thanks yeah, for, it's good. Thanks for inviting me over to the the the, the lavish studios here. <laughs> I like the the big bowl of M and M's with no green M and M's. That was that was very nice. That's very I'm glad good. you got my writer.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we we, we do what we can here. Uh, I am sorry we ran out of Cristal.
1: Ah, uh, that's okay. Next time. Next time. Next time. Well, right. well, thanks. This has been great. Well, this is Steve Peters with Story Forward. Nice to meet all you uh, you uh, no-pro listeners out there.
0: And this is no one else in a no-persinium. <laughs> Glad to uh, get a chance to talk to the Story Forward crew. All right. Been fun. Great. We'll see you next time. That's it. That's the big show. And I do mean the big show. Thank you so much to Steve Peters for being our co-host slash guest this time out on the no-persinium slash Story Forward podcast. How can you find out more? Because StoryForward has, they've almost got 100 episodes. They have some amazing guests. They, they explore even farther into experimental storytelling than we do here on this show, into other forms, into digital forms, into alternate reality games. You listen to the episode, you know what it's about, but I'm just reminding you right now because it was long. Um, contacting them. How do you contact? How do you find the StoryForward podcast? You go to storyforwardpodcast.com. You can find Story Forward on Twitter, at Story Forward. It's all spelled out, the word. It's not F-W-D. It's Story Forward, all one word. You can find them on Meetup. Those are where the meetups are. Um, Zay went to one recently in New York City, had a grand old time. Aaron Mee was there. Andrew Hefner from Houseworld was there. It was a blast, according to Zay. Um, Meetup.com slash Story NYC or... Slash story forward dash loss dash Angelus. That's how you do that at Meetup. How do you find us? Well, um, the usual way. You can find us at noprosinium.com. That leads everywhere. You can find us at Uh You can find us, you can find me at Noah J. Nelson. Both of those are on Twitter. You can uh, email us. Please email us with your tips and everything. No underscore persinium at outlook.com. <clears throat> Sorry, still got that lingering cough from last week. Uh, Patreon.com slash no presidium is how you become a backer of the podcast. Medium.com slash no dash presidium is where you find all of our reviews and our essays, all that good stuff. Look, um, this has been a wonderful 50 episodes plus the the pilot, which features Annie Saunders, which you can still find on SoundCloud which one day I will rerun here as like a bonus episode. Uh, This has been a wonderful 50 episodes. And uh, this was, no, I was about to joke about like, we're done. No, we're not. In fact, next week, we've got some changes coming. There's going to be, there's some great stuff happening. Uh, Things are really pulling together. Uh, There's going to be some stuff that sounds different. I hope you like the changes. I hope you're down with some of the stuff that we've got going on. It's not going to be too big. It's not going to be too different. But uh, we've had some fun opportunities lately and even more popping up. And frankly, I'm running for them. So more on that next week when we have another wonderful guest. And um, until then, and this is for real because I'm seeing a bunch of stuff in the next few weeks. Until then, I will see you at the show.